Last time we were together was in May, Clay's birthday. Leith Lofton come out from Nashville, and uh, we we did a podcast then. He played that night, and it seems to me like you guys uh, got a pretty good little friendship and relationship going since. Well, dude, anytime a guy plays a four-and-a-half-hour set at a birthday party, you got to become friends with him. So, yeah, we uh, about six, eight weeks later, I was in Nashville with my buddy Tim Montana, and uh, Leith came out, enjoyed the show. We got to hang out a little bit, and then, uh, we got him booked to come out and open up uh, for the American Royal on Friday night, uh, second weekend of September there in Kansas City, and uh, looking forward to it. And it sounds like we may get to hear some of them tunes this weekend. Yeah, he's he's on in the air right now, headed out here. We're in Lake Tahoe right now. What do you think of this lake? Dude, it is uh, it is gorgeous. Literally, when we were talking about it, looking at the pictures this morning, I was like, if you didn't know where you were, you'd think you are in the Caribbean. Like, water's so clear, beautiful. A little choppy out there today. It's going to affect my barefoot skiing, but I'm still going to give it a shot. <laughs> <laughs> so you so you truly can barefoot ski because it's like the fifth time you said it today well you know probably shouldn't put it out there but maybe maybe back when i was in my playing weight <laughs> if i can get this six seven pounds of water off of me i'll be ready to roll <laughs> so you bring up the american royal kansas city it's at the racetrack we're going out there we're bringing this life ain't for everybody in the foul life out there we have George Brett and a bunch of Royals, Ian Kennedy, and, and, and some guys from that team coming out. We have some guys from the Kansas City Chiefs coming out. But the big part of this deal that blows my mind is that 150,000 people, general public, come to this event to eat the barbecue, to, to see all of the different teams competing, to buy rubs, to buy sauces. We have something like that in Nevada, the Great American Rib Cook-Off, or the Best in the West Rib yeah. Cook-Off. And um, a lot of teams from all over the country coming and competed in that. So what can we expect to see out there? This will be our first time at the Royal. Oh, man, it's going to be huge. You're going to see about 600 teams. What's different than what you guys have in Reno is, in Reno, you guys have about 20 teams, and all those teams are kind of built on cooking good barbecue, but also, like, feeding the masses. Like my buddy Tommy Houston from Checkered Pig out of Virginia, um, he's been doing that con- this contest out in Reno for years. And, uh, but those guys set up to sell 1,000, 2,000 slabs of ribs a day. Whereas when you go to Kansas City, what you're going to find is these are true competition cooks. They're going to be cooking 20 pieces of chicken, four to six slabs of ribs. They're going to be focused on giving the judge that perfect bite. Um, Friday night is a party, man. And uh, nobody puts on a party like we do at Traeger. Like we, us and Cabo Wabo are right across the aisle from each other. And uh, that's where all the action's at. So Friday night, you're going to see a big party. Saturday, you know, a lot of public will be out there. We'll be serving samples. There'll be people competing. And then Sunday's strictly a competition day. So we'll be competing on Sunday. Um, but yet you're going to love it, man. Just people from all walks of life, all over the world, just having one thing in common. And that's love of barbecue. And Cabo Wabo as in Sammy Hagar's Cabo Wabo. They have a barbecue team with Hagar. No, no, no. They, they, they have, they do a big party on uh Friday night. And, uh, so, so they have a big party on Friday night. We have a big party. There's numerous local corporations in Kansas city that that's like their big annual event. So people that have met sales goals or just, Companies bringing clients out. It's a uh, it's a it's a big time on Friday night at the American Royal Kansas City Speedway. So last night when we called George Brett and we're talking to him because he's using the Traeger now, and George is really into big time backyard barbecue yep. guy. I've I've been around when he's had John Cruck over there when Sunday night baseballs in Kansas City and Cruck's in his backyard having you know rib cookoffs and and competitions, a little competitiveness between friends that used to play in the major leagues together. And when you're talking to George Brett, down to earth as heck, because I know you're a big baseball guy, but to me, that's what Traeger's all about. We talked about it yesterday when, we, when you first came into town was 
this, the, the theme of what we do with Traeger and the, the way we build our lifestyle into it is that it's time to get back into the backyard. It's time to get back into conversing. It's time to make sure that the hustle and bustles of life don't overtake everything that we let them take over on a daily basis. And Traeger is all about getting people together again and to be on the phone with a Hall of Famer, first ballot Hall of Famer that we grew up watching, that one of the arguably one of the best hitters ever in baseball history, George Brett, and to have him on the phone talking about the Traeger and, and the ribs and the different settings and trying to figure it out and get used to cooking with wood pellets and, and everything. And I watched your face. You were like, man, this is George Brett. And I'm just having a conversation about barbecue. And that's, what's so badass about barbecue or hunting in the outdoors is that any, all it's a common denominator. It brings all these different walks of life together, a hall of fame baseball player. You've won the grand eight times. And now you guys are on the phone talking like you've been friends for years. No, it's great. I mean, that's one thing I always say, you know, as, as we kind of look at this world we live in, I feel like if, Everybody could get around a table like this and a couple big platters of barbecue. Life would be a whole lot simpler. While I enjoy talking to George about the Traeger, and we'll talk about that in a minute, the only other thing I enjoyed talking to him more about was your swing. <laughs> he, hey, dude, he broke that thing down. You must have showed that thing to him 10 are or 12 you do, times. Are you trying to be a stand-up comedian today? Because we can go at this. If we want to get into my baseball swing, I have live video right here of George <laughs> saying, I had no idea you had. You look like, a, like Bonds. He goes, really? He goes, you, have a, you really remind me of Ken Griffey Jr., the kid. Which also cooks on a Traeger, by the way, while we're there. Griffey does? Yeah. He, he loves no, but up. what about my swing? What about it? What did George say about it? I didn't hear that part. I don't think you want me to talk. Hey, Tom, cut this. <laughs> Chad's going to make you cut it anyway. It, it wasn't very flattering. You guys were sitting around. Clay, you, you heard it. I mean, it was, he said there were some holes in it, maybe a little bit of a, a back shoulder drop, a little bit too high of a swing plane. Am I hitting it all? Or? I think you Hard know. hands. Yeah, yeah, hard. Yeah, oh, said he just had a death grip on that <laughs> on that bat. Um, yeah, I mean, just, just some things George talked about. But. It was cool to talk to him about the Traeger, and it's interesting, you know, usually about two minutes into the conversation with anybody, whether it's a Hall of Famer or a backyard guy, you can pick up on their true passion for barbecue. Based on the questions they ask, you know, kind of that, that inflection in their voice, you can see if they've got it or not, and he definitely had it, and uh, look forward to, you know, appreciate you making the introduction and getting us hooked up there. I mean, that's, that's awesome, and look forward to seeing what he does on it. He seems pretty stoked about it. Sounds like he's going to be cooking on it this weekend, which uh be a lot of fun to see what he puts out. And, and, and then you go to the other side of the spectrum with a different athletics that's totally different than baseball with UFC and, and MMA, mixed martial arts, and, and pretty much cage fighting, prize fighting. The next guy that we call on the phone was Dan Henderson. Well, we talked to Dan before, George, and now you got Hendo down. He's getting ready for his big pig roast. He's going to be smoking some pigs on the Traegers this weekend. And here we are talking to a UFC Hall of Famer who's, again, arguably the best mixed martial artist of all time, two-time Olympic wrestler Dan Hendo Henderson, and he's just talking to you like we're all buddies because of barbecue, hunting, and the outdoors. And to me, really, is that if you really break down barbecue and the message that Traeger's delivering and what you guys are doing with your marketing, it's bringing all these people together. You know, I'll tell you, it's interesting. If you ever, uh, CEO.com just did an article with uh, our CEO, Jeremy Andrus. And, and you know, Jeremy's been wildly successful. You know, when he entered Skull Candy, it was a, million dollar company and when he left it it was 300 million plus you know six eight years um and when he was doing due diligence on acquiring traeger he said the one interesting thing he goes you know i've been in consumer products my whole life he said i've never heard people say this consumer product changed my life and he's like man he's like i heard it from the first interview i did then i heard it in the third interview then i heard it in the fourth and i heard it in the fifth just talking to consumers and and what's been interesting is uh he heard that and he realized what a differentiator it was. And that's like one of the ethos of our company is, you know, it's about, and it's interesting to talk to people. I mean, 
thank God, hopefully you'll never be able to text or airdrop a brisket. Right. <laughs> we'll just, you know, we'll, we'll always have to all gather around and cook together and enjoy food together. But it is really interesting when you talk to people and they go, man, it's, you know, the time I spend with my family, I spend twice as much of it now because we all just get in the backyard and cook together. You know, my daughters will take care of the vegetables. I'll take care of the protein. My wife will have a dessert ready to throw on the Traeger. You know, and we just kind of cook together and eat together and enjoy time together. And really, if you could boil it down to at the end of the day, that, that's what we want to do is we want to be able to provide that cohesion and that, that, that lifestyle to where people can get together and enjoy each other's company. It doesn't have to be your family. It could be your neighbors, you know, whatever it is, getting your community together um, around a good, a good platter of barbecue is what it's all about. And I, I think the simplicity of it is a big key to that because a lot of people are scared to fire barbecue, you know, put it over an open flame. They don't know how to cook it. They do it too long. They ruin it. So they're afraid of it. This makes it simple, you know, so they're, it's bringing a lot more cooks and wannabe cooks into it and they're doing it perfect. Well, absolutely. After your birthday, meeting Chad, being over there, my wife now does mac and cheese, does uh, the peach cobbler. She's getting good at it. I mean, it's definitely changed a bunch of stuff with what we do, for sure. No, and, and I think the one thing is it's not just, like you hit on, it's just not for barbecue. It's, it's really for, if you can cook it over heat, you can cook it on a trade. I mean, we smoked some goldfish earlier, you know? I had to get you guys a little appetizer, get y'all pumped up for this podcast. Yeah, you can do, you can do so many things on it as far as you know the different series you know i can do a lot more on the timberline the 850 the 1300 that i can do on the pro 34 um if you if you talk to guys like you our buddy jim ray there's guys that have not cooked in their kitchen all summer uh this is chad belding we're on another awesome episode of this life ain't for everybody as you can tell we have the man the legend the barbecue champion himself eight time winner the grand chad ward heads up marketing for the barbecue side of traeger outdoors he owns whiskey bent barbecue out of the great state of florida he is looking for partners. I'm hoping and franchising this pretty soon. I'm letting it out of the bag right there, Chad. He's also kicking ass with Traeger daily, and his ambassadors and his influencers are responsible for millions and millions and millions of impressions weekly for the Traeger brand. And I'm excited to talk about a little launch that we have coming up at the end of 2018, going in the beginning of 2019. Chad Mendez from the UFC. Chad Ward and myself are going to publish and release a new series of cookbooks titled Three Chads, One Cookbook. And uh, ep uh, issue number one is going to have 100 recipes, 80 from us and then 20 guest recipes. We have a, a big time friend who's a quote unquote celebrity in the country music business right in the forward. So, Chad, I'm excited about the cookbook excited as hell and also on the podcast today is jared ellenberger from the great city of chico california i met jared at clay's birthday party uh he's become good friends with leith loft and he's become good friends with chad ward he's become good friends with my brother clay and the rest of my family we spent numerous nights cooking on the traegers on the deck at brad Forsyth's place at lake almanor and then also we have clay host a dead dog walk-in and we got some exciting news that clay just got to experience in the mountains in northern nevada with his mule deer archery hunt we're going to talk about that deer we're going to talk about the stock we're going to talk about how he found him how he harvested it what it scored the deer of a lifetime especially with the bow and then ward's going to throw down on how we're going to reverse sear and prepare that venison steak for our our friends here at lake tahoe 
tonight and tomorrow night. So again, this life ain't for everybody. That's not what this podcast is about. It's more about, hey, no matter what you do in life, it might not be for everybody out there. But as long as we all respect each other and get along, we can all come together through the great outdoors, hunting, fishing, conservation, barbecuing. And that's why we're here today. And we're talking about Traeger. We're talking about the different things that you can do, the simplicity of it. And we see it all the time with the success of the company and the growth of the brand. Chad, with what you're seeing out there as a whole, are you satisfied with where the Traeger brand is right now? Or is there going to be initiatives coming up that's going to get people even more excited with what's going on? Man, we're constantly evolving and we're constantly wanting to push the envelope. I mean, we've got a whole lot more people to convert from gas and charcoal. I mean, we are just really, we're still working up the mountain. I mean, at the end of the day, we, we want to take over over 50% of the backyards in this country and we got a lot of work to do. Uh, so yeah, we're constantly innovating uh, from a product point of view. We're constantly thinking about new ideas from a marketing point of view. How do we reach different uh, markets that may not have heard of the brand? You know, to, to me, what's kind of amazing is it's, it's kind of hard. And I'm sure you know this, Chad, you know, walking around an airport with a Traeger shirt on and it, it, it'll get you stopped for some barbecue questions pretty quick. So it, it's cool to see that, but we still have so much further to go. So yeah, we, we are definitely not taking the, uh, the foot off the gas. Uh, we may even push it down a little bit more, see if this thing get up to about 140, 160, uh, not worry about the speed limits. But, yeah, we're going to keep pushing forward and trying to get in more backyards and uh, just keep sharing that, that wood fire difference. Well, honestly, there's speaking of Brad Forsyth, he is no more than charcoal. He's done that for his whole life. He's came to my house with my Traeger, and now he's going to buy one. Yeah. You know, so that, to reiterate what you were saying, is very true. He is hardcore charcoal and gas, and then now he's going to go buy a Traeger. And the only thing I always bring up to those gas guys when they tell me what's the difference, my first question is always, what flavors your propane? Because you're not going to get that cherry, that pecan, that maple, hickory, oak. You're not going to get it off of that. And that, that's why I literally, and I talk about this all the time, you know, we'll look at the, the table we're sitting in front of. It says, taste the wood fire difference. It's just not a marketing slogan. It's what we live by. That's why you see us do 200 plus events a year. That's why you see us do a huge activation at the American Royal, Memphis and May. We want those common people that have a passion for barbecue, that are collecting samples from all these other grill manufacturers. At the end of the day, we want that Traeger sample to be the one that's memorable because it's, it's, it's simplicity. It's easy to cook. It, it's super versatile. But at the end of the day, man, you're cooking over wood in the most convenient way possible. And when you, when you start talking about cooking over it, again, we don't want any, anybody to ever think that this is just a barbecue or this is just a grill. We, we, Jared threw out the peach cobbler, the cherry pies we did in Iowa, which um, uh, you saw that episode. Amazing. With what we did that night still blows my mind with the, with the charity, charitable stuff that we were able to participate in. And a lot of that was wrapped around the socialization that occurs with food. Um, in Europe, a lot of socialization occurs around a dinner table in Italy. At hunting camp, a lot of the socialization, the hunts only last so long. The rest of it's around a campfire and a table, a grill. And um, if you think about everything that comes out of the conversing, the socialization around a barbecue, around a grill. And now you take it to the next level with the Traeger brand. And when you talk about a brand, have you ever walked through an airport airport and seen another barbecue brand on a shirt? No, it doesn't happen. Does it? Have you ever seen, have you ever seen any, we don't need to mention any names, but I'm 43 years old and I've barbecued a lot. My dad barbecue. We cook out, we cook out over open flames all, all of our lives. I've never seen anybody wearing another barbecue company shirt. So for somebody to want to put it on their apparel and wear it with the, pa the passion and the pride that they have in that, it shows you that it's more than a barbecue. It's a lifestyle. 
And people are getting into geared into this lifestyle because of what Clay and Jared talk about, the simplicity of it, and also about how the entire family can enjoy the food that's on it. It's not like it's a pull the wool over your eyes, this is a wood-fired grill with a hopper on it, and that you're going to have the best food in the world. It truly is unbelievable food. It's Whether you're cooking ribs or if it's beef, if it's pork, if it's the best chicken in the world comes off a Traeger hands down. You've won the ground with chicken. You know exactly what I'm talking about. When You can tell good chicken with shit chicken, right? You can. Last night, that chicken was amazing. It's moist. The pork chops that Butcher Box supplied for us last night, amazing. And then you top that with the vegetables. You put some asparagus and Brussels sprouts on the veggie tray, the new veggie rub, the lifestyle, the sauces, the rubs, the, or, the, the labeling, the packaging. Everything that you see Traeger doing is spot on. And there's a reason why people want to get involved in the lifestyle. It looks good. It tastes good and it works. It's not pulling the wool over anybody's eyes. No, I, I completely agree with you. And, and a lot of effort goes into kind of having that fit and finish on everything we do. I mean, I can tell you the the new rubs that came out, the the veggie like you hit on, the fit and feather. I mean, that that's amazing on vegetables too. Uh, you know, repackaging the big game rub, all all the things we did. I mean, I can tell you because I personally tested them. We probably went through twelve to fifteen iterations of just diff- just small tweaks. Maybe an eighth less salt, maybe you know an addition of this spice, an addition of that spice. But when when we put the Traeger brand on it, it's had everybody's eyes and taste buds on it because we want to make sure that that we delivered our customer what they need. I mean, you know, it, it's a it's a thirty year old brand, and a lot of those customers have been around all thirty years. And the last thing we want to do is disappoint them. Yeah, and I don't, I don't, I don't think that there's even a chance that anybody could get disappointed in a Traeger. I haven't heard a lot of negativity come out of the Traeger nation, if you will, Chad. And I think that where the brand is going, and I don't know if we can, if we can touch on anything today, but as far as the word innovation, which is so important in brand and brand development and brand awareness and keeping that brand alive, especially on the national level, we all know how hard it is for a brand to survive even the infancy stage of a national becoming a national brand. Traeger's been around a long time. They've been somewhat of a brand, but right now, they have the most momentum out of any barbecue grill, whatever you want to call this lifestyle. Is there anything that we can talk about today that's getting ready to pop? Is there any announcements? Is there any new gear coming out? Is there any, are, are you adding anything to the line? I know that there's a lot of things that you have to be careful with, with telling people too early, but is there anything that you can tell us to get us fired up for next year? Uh, you know, I can't talk in any particulars, but I can tell you this when, when Jeremy acquired the company and the rest of our senior management team, Denny Bruce, Luke Edgar, those guys, the one thing they noticed about this industry was it had had no disruption. You know, guys were just sitting out, you know, d- dudes would change wheels on a propane grill, and that was the big innovation in the barbecue industry. Man, that doesn't fly with us. Like, we're, we're, we're going to change the way people cook outdoors. And, and I will tell you, that is not stopping. There, you know, when you look at the Timberline, I can talk about that. It's been out about 18 months. But when you look at the investment we put into the IP, you know, how many, how many patents are around that grill? How many things we innovated that had never been done in the outdoor cooking space, cloud-based Wi-Fi? You know, I mean, to be able to have the tens of thousands of Timberline users that we have all sitting on the same cloud, being able to control their grills, nobody had done that. Everybody had always done point-to-point Wi-Fi when it came to controlling grills. That type of innovation and that type of pushing the envelope and that kind of engineering is still going on today, and you will see it sooner than later. Um, And that's really all I can say about it, but we're not sitting on our hands. We're not resting like a lot of companies have done, a lot of what we call kind of the ankle biters, the people that have just taken what we've done and copied it and tried to come in at a little bit lower price point. Know that this brand at Traeger 
will always be looking to take that next step and, and really go to the next level. So, yes, there's a lot of exciting things coming. All I can say is stay tuned, and you will not be disappointed. And some of the things that I found out at corporate or what's getting, getting ready to happen, it, it speaks volumes about innovation and the development team and the engineering and everything that's going on behind the scenes at Traeger. I'm wondering if is somebody that owns, let's say, a, a Timberline right now, or they own a, a Pro 34 series, do, do we have the customer base out there that is going to buy multiple grills? Is there going to be multiple setups? Do we buy one for our backyard and carry it in the back of our truck to our campsite or to, or to our buddy's house to cook on it? Do you see the customer base that's, that's engaging in multiple purchases with this brand as far as the grills go? Absolutely. I can tell you, I know hundreds of users that have either a Pro 34 or Timberline in their backyard. They have a tailgater and they have a Ranger or a Scout. Those three grills, they, and, and they all have different purposes, right? You know, the one thing we found when it came to portability for Traeger was everybody's so proud of what they cook on their Traeger, right? Well, it's not easy to put your Timberline 850 or your Pro 34 in the back of your truck or heck, say you don't have a truck, you got a car. Even more challenging, right? But you can take that tailgater over to your mother-in-law's. You can take that Ranger Scout over to your mother-in-law's, your, you know, to your friend's house and show them, hey, dude, it's time to get rid of that propane grill. Like, let me let, let, me let you taste something. Um, so I think having that, what we call that travel series, the Timberlines, the Ranger, the Scout, those are, are super key. But then you always want to have that workhorse in your backyard, whether it be a Pro Series grill or a Timberline Series grill. Um, both of them are phenomenal. Um, but, yeah, I, 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 like I can say, personally, I know hundreds of Traeger owners that have more than one grill in their arsenal. And when you, when, when you have the, the arsenal that you have, that you have available in the selection right now in the portfolio, is there something that comes to mind you personally right now that you've seen in the last, let's say 90 days that has opened your eyes as in, and you've, you've accomplished everything there is to accomplish in competition barbecue. You've been in so many cooking classes for Traeger and, and helped develop so many recipes. Has anybody blown your mind or opened your eyes to like, wow, man, that's cool as shit. I didn't think of that. Has, has that happened lately? Man, it happens all the time. It's one thing I love about, you know, just as key as our grills and our innovation are as big, if not bigger as our community. You know, I always say it's one thing as a brand to tell your story. But when you have tens of thousands of people telling the story for you, it's much more authentic. And so to me, it's amazing to look out there at kind of the Traeger Nation, whatever you want to call them, all these people that are so passionate about the brand and what they do. Um, I mean, the, you know, people just go outside the box. I mean, you know, we talked about him last time, our boy, Kenny, Benny Kendrick. You know, he, he did a stuffed fatty the other day that was just amazing. Flavor combinations I had never seen in the past. Um, I love seeing what folks do. And, and what I'm really enjoying seeing now, you know, and especially coming back to kind of you and Clay is what the outdoor folks are doing. You know, everybody was just used to always be, you know, grind it all, but the, the straps and the loins. And now there's so many people that are, because of the Traeger and because of how well it works with wild game, are kind of getting outside of their comfort zone and doing some pretty cool stuff with it. And uh, no, I mean, those things to me, and I always tell people, I've cooked tens of thousands of times. Every time I fire up my Traeger and put a piece of meat on, I learn something. And the day you quit learning, you need to find something else to be a professional at. Yeah, and when you talk about, you know, the outdoors and, and, and wildlife, you know, guys that are chasing wildlife, pursuing, hunt, you know, animals and harvesting wild animals, we relatively try to 
clean ducks as fast as possible as a, as a duck hunting community. We, we open up the breastplate, we cut the breastbone and the tenderloin out of both sides. And then we either freeze that or we, or we cook it that night with different kinds of recipes. And a lot of the, the most popular recipe you ever hear a duck hunter talk about is I love taking that duck meat. I love taking that duck meat and wrapping it in bacon and with a little jalapeno or cream cheese, which cream cheese is absolutely the worst thing that's ever been invented, in my opinion. I think that people that eat it are really weird, and I think that people should really think about who they are and their psyche if they really buy cream cheese. It's just like, it's so weird to eat cream cheese, but that's just me going off on cream cheese. But listen to this real quick. We are plucking and fully plucking 75% of the birds we kill now. Probably not so many Canada geese, but speckle belly geese mallard ducks pintail ducks widgeons and with these these in, in these beer the beer can theory right yep. well now traeger has an accessory called the chicken throne that's a porcelain throne that literally is the easiest thing i've ever seen do you pour a beer into one of them and then the 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 accessibility of them to be able to place three or four of them on a traeger on a pro 34 or a timberline 850 1300 and put those full body mallards or sprig or speckle bellies on that throne with that beer in it and then after it's done cooking the flavor that you get out of it the crust that you get on the skin and then you're like looking at that throne and you're like dude that's a dirty mess and then it cleans up like that and yep. i'm like how ingenious is this that after all of this time, somebody came up with a way to make beer can chicken or beer can ducks and make it that taste so much better than a regular beer can chicken or duck ever did. And now with the ease of that chicken throne, that's the kind of product that I'm talking about. It's like every single time I turn around, they're making it easier to be a good backyard chef, which is what we need to be as a man or a woman. We need to be providers. And Traeger, in my opinion, where I'm going with this ward is that Ward, you were a little hard on the beaver last night. That was a freaking, that was a quote from uh, uh, All in the Family. What was that show? <laughs> what was that show? I don't remember. Ward, I don't remember that. Uh, Archie Bunker Archie. would not have lasted one season in today's, in, in today's world. Yeah. So, so um, we're providers. Yeah. It's getting us back to the point to where it's cool to live off the land again. Really, like hippies are like, it's so organic. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm growing my own vegetables and I'm living off. We, Hunter's been doing it for hundreds of years. Yeah. And now Traeger's making it to where a duck hunter that just killed his first duck can pluck that duck and make it taste like he is a sous chef at a French restaurant in Paris. And I'm not exaggerating on that. That might be a little bit of an exaggeration. And I don't know if you Maybe his third duck. Maybe his third duck. But you know what I'm saying? Those ducks on those chicken thrones are insane. And and that product right there is one that's sticking out in my mind because I've literally blown people's minds with the the ducks we're cooking on them. And I'm like, dude, we didn't do anything. We truly didn't do anything. Just let the Traeger do all the work. Now, you talking about all this foul, I, I got to, and I know I'm going to have to answer like 32 barbecue questions on how to cook things. I'm going to throw one at you, Belding, and maybe even Clay, if whichever one you guys want to take it. But a good friend of mine has a goose in the freezer, wants to know the best way to cook it. Drop something on me. But what's, what's the best way to handle that? Where does he live? Uh, Washington. Washington State? Yeah. I would say it's probably a Canada goose, but let's just assume that it's a Canada goose. Yep. Here's how I would do it. I would take, I would, are we talking on a Traeger? Yeah, on a Traeger. Traeger, Okay, I would tell him to invest in the new Traeger cast iron. And I would take that breast meat out of that Canada goose and I would cut the legs off of it, assuming that he's got it plucked. I don't know if he's got it plucked or if he's got it. Plucked, cleaned in the freezer. Okay, so what I would do with a Canada goose is I would cut the breast meat out of it and the tenderloins, which is the little strip of real thin meat that's right up against the breastplate okay. that, that separates the breastplate from the actual breast meat. That's the best piece of meat on a piece of waterfowl, just like a tenderloin on a deer or a backstrap. What I would do is I would take it out and I would cut every bit of the fat off, 
Canada geese are known, they're infamous for having a lot of greasy fat on them. You got to get it off of there on so, this recipe. So it, if, if you cook it like that, it almost comes back with a little bit of a rancid flavor well, when it's cooked? Well, it, it, it can because Canada geese are so, they're so much tougher than a snow goose or tougher than a speckle belly goose because they they stay in a lot colder environments for a lot longer. Speckle belly will be in California in 70 degree weather in a hurry. It doesn't take much from them south. A Canada goose, is, they'll rough it out. So most of the time when you kill them, they're going to have a lot more fat and a lot more oils in them. So uh, with a speckle belly goose, I would take that fat and cook it fat side down and render it and get that because it's so it's perfect. Rich. With a can of goose, I'm not a real big fan of that. I would take the fat and the skin off of it. I'd take that breast meat, and then I would take a rubber mallet in the kitchen on a cutting board, and I would tenderize it. I would cut it into thin strips, and I would tenderize those strips with a mallet. And then I would take my cast iron. I'd get a little bit of some really high-quality olive oil in there, yep. and I would season it with some fins, with some fin, fins and feathers, uh, the, the Traeger of fins and feather. I would season it with that, and I would take a little tiny bit of Italian breadcrumb, and I would sprinkle it over the top of it, and I would flash fry it in that, in that cast iron on top of your timberline at 500 degrees. Kind of at, a pan fry. A pan fry, at, and it's amazing. That, there's no better way to cook breast meat off a of waterfowl than in cast iron. We've, I've proven that time and time again to myself. I'm like, holy shit, why, didn't I, why haven't I been doing this my whole life or yeah. my, my whole ending career? So with that can of goose meat, that's what I would do with that breast meat. And I would do the same exact thing with the legs. I'd probably, not cut, I'd probably cut out that, the bread, breadcrumbs part yep. of it. But I would have that the legs flash fried. And you don't want to do anything in waterfowl more or any, any wild game pretty much than medium rare. And those legs are awesome. If the other thing is if he's got a little Cajun influence on him and he, and, he, and he knows how to make good gravies or gumbos or some etouffees or any jambalayas. Ooh, an etouffee with that. Oh, my gosh. And, and, and gumbos. The yeah. root, if you do it right and you brown your legs and your breast meat just to like rare, but brown them, just flash fry them real quick. And then throw them in with the gumbo? And then put it in the roux and let them just sizzle in oh. that gravy. I'm telling you, like, you'll never eat a better piece of meat in your life. So there's a lot of ways. I can't really like do it or give an example over a podcast, but with Canada geese, you have to be patient. You have to tenderize. You have to break down the ligaments and the tendons in that meat because they're a tough freaking bird. But people that say you can't eat them are crazy. And again, there's a lot of subspecies of the Canada goose. So when you're talking Canada geese, is it a lesser? Is it a Richardson? Is it, is it a Taverner? Is it, is it a greater? You know, they can weigh anything from a pound and a half all the way up to 15 pounds. Yeah. So you got to figure out all of that as a hunter. Like, what am I trying to do with this meat? It's just like killing. It's just like having a cow. You got to understand the different cuts on a cow and people that know how to butcher and process their own meat. They become a better cook a lot faster because they understand that with the temperament of those different cuts of meat you got to process them you got to butcher them and you got to cook them a lot different depending on where they come off of the animal and a canada goose is compared to maybe a big a big shoulder steak or a big shoulder roast off of a cow or a moose or something gotcha. that's what i would compare it to it's really hard to make canada goose good unless you're patient and take care of the meat all right well i'm going to go ahead and tax you with something on that new cookbook uh one of your recipes you contribute has got to be that uh, goose etouffee. I think that I, <laughs> I, I, I'm telling you, I got this guy texting me. That sounds me. so delicious, I man. got this guy texting me last night. His name's Lindy Hallman. He's a very successful uh, guy in Louisiana. He's a Cajun. You can barely understand anything yeah. he says. Like, it'd be subtitles and bouncing balls on the show, right? And he is a genius with ruse. Like, I watched him cook ruse, and I'm like, I want to learn how to do that. And here's the thing about a Traeger is that if you're patient with the ruse, a ruse in all, uh, is a daily deal. It's, a, yep. it's four cold beers and buddies and conversation, yep. and you just let that ruse just meditate. And he showed me 
how to add the meat, how to add the sausages, how to add the gator, how to add the goose, how to add the ducks. And at the end of it, when you take that that leg out, I'm telling you, the meat just falls off of the bone. Yep. And it, you you swear that you're eating pork or you or, or some kind of something that's not wild like a yeah. goose. So yeah, there's a lot of different. I can get with Lindy and come up with some really cool Cajun recipes, which are popular as heck in the waterfowl world because yeah. it, in Louisiana, everything tastes good, dude. Uh, oh, you, you you know there there's a super successful barbecue team, guys called Cajun Blades out of Louisiana, uh, Adam and Jason, super good guys. And I just love going to barbecue competitions with them. One, they're going to give you a run for your money. Probably, probably go whip up on you if, you if you ain't on your A game that day. But two, you eat like kings, man. And I love just sitting down at their trailer and just talking food, man. There's no, you know, everybody talks about the foodie scene in New York City, Chicago, Boston, L.A. The foodie scene in Louisiana has been going on for about 200 years. You know what I mean? I mean, those folks, there's a passion for it, man passion flavor all those things they are simply amazing I, I love cooking with cajuns i'm actually got the opportunity to I'm, I'm going down in october to um i'm going down in october uh with a uh, journey south outfitters and cooking there with yeti for a couple of days and what i want to do is i'd love to like i'd love to get hooked up with your guy i'm going to try to get hooked up with kenan at uh southern boys uh southern boys outdoors hang out with those guys like I want to like do a full week in Louisiana, just emerged into their cooking scene, and how can we integrate Traeger and barbecue into into what they're doing? And I think it'd be pretty awesome. And when you you've been telling me some stories about some different wild game experiences that you've been having, and we're getting ready to go live on Instagram, and we're going to go live on the Foul Life TV as well as on Whiskey Bent Barbecue, and there come some of the stories that you keep telling me about what you did with Bobby, aka Kid Rock, and what you did with what the conversation you just had with Joe Rogan when you were down there with him and John Dudley in the Southern California. And to hear these guys talk about what Traeger's done with the way they're preparing their wild game, the recipes that you did at Kid Rock's Farm in Alabama and Nashville, and when you put when you did that Axis deer and some of his other big game, he literally came to you and said, How'd you do that? And like people are mystified with how good wild game is tasting on a Traeger. Just, just tell me a little bit about how the conversation went with Rogan. Well, well you know, it, it's one of those things, you know, Joe was kind of like the typical guys when they get started, you know, you, a, a lot of the outdoor folks, a lot of the outdoor folks, when they get started in, um, in, in cooking, they, most of them have all been raised on propane and they, it's that hot and fasting, right? Get, get it hot, get a little sear on the outside and then eat it. Well, the problem is it, it kind of dries it out. Um, so what, what I like to do is, and once again, I, did, I, I say this all the time, I didn't create it. I'm just one of the biggest evangelists for it, and that's the reverse sear process. So I get to talking about it on our, our buddy John Dudley's podcast, uh, Knock on TV, and Rogan hears it. And then the next thing you know, you know, year, year and a half ago, he mentions it on his podcast and finally had the opportunity three weeks ago to uh, cook an event with Dudley and Rogan and Jocko and uh, Jack Carr, a bunch of cool guys, uh, Andy Stump. And me and Joe got to talk, and he's like, dude, he's like, you've changed the way I cook my wild game. He's like, you know, I was a 350, 375 guy. He's like, and when I heard you on Dudley's podcast say, dude, if you're cooking it over 275, you're screwing it up. And he goes, and, and, and man, he goes, the first time I did that elk with that reverse sear, he goes, the best elk I'd ever, ever ate that I cooked. And to me, that's cool, you know, and, and, and it works so well on the Traeger, especially the Timberline with, with all the insulation in it, double wall. You know, you can get from that if you're on Super Smoke at 225, which for you guys that may not know Traeger, 
Timberline's the top of the line, double all insulated grill, 24 pound hopper, all Wi-Fi control, but it also has a super smoke setting, which allows you to get three times more smoke in the chamber between the temperatures of 165 and 225. Um, so you put that, that, I don't care if it's an elk steak, loin, whatever you're dealing with, you put it in that Timberline at 225 super smoke. First thing is you're, you're, you're getting all those muscle fibers to relax. When muscles relaxed, it gives you more surface area to absorb flavor. So you're on super smoke. Muscle fibers are taking on a lot more smoke, so you're getting that smokiness. But then once it hits 120 on elk, I pull it off. I crank my timberline to 500 degrees. Once it hits 500, I let it sit there for two, three minutes, and boom, I sear it about, depending on how big the loin is, two to two and a half minutes each side. I never, ever try to take elk or venison, especially like axis, past 128. Because the one thing is, people don't realize, everybody, you know, a lot of people, when you just think about it, they think, oh, as soon as I take it off the grill, it's done. No, nah, man, there's so much kinetic energy inside of that meat, it's going to carry over cook. So if it's a good-sized loin, it's going to cook another four or five degrees. And I just don't want to take a chance. Man, you guys spend way too much money, time, effort, and, and give too much of your heart to harvest these animals, man, I ain't going to cook it past rare to medium rare. We're, we're going to enjoy y'all's harvest. You know what I mean? And, and to me, that's key. So if you're taking any of these type of red meat, wild game, much over 135, you're not doing, you, you're killing that animal twice. Well, to reiterate some of the stuff you're saying, I've messed up more stuff on a gas grill. Yeah. I've messed it up, ruined the meal. I've never messed anything up on a trigger. Well, and what was not one wood, time. What was the wood flavor on it? What it tastes like? A charcoal. You no, no, propane. Well, yeah, yeah <laughs> you're chewing on a, a chunk of hockey puck or something. Yeah. You know? now, <laughs> but yeah, now let's, let, we don't want to say that it's like you can't make wild game taste good on any other apparatus right. no, 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 that's no. out there besides Traeger. But the simplicity of a Traeger makes a guy become a complete provider is my point. You can go out and be the baddest-ass duck hunter in the world and call in a duck or bugle in a bull elk, smoke that bull elk at nine yards with your bow, and then you're like, well, now what do I do? Well, do you know how to strip a, a, an elk down and, and, and get the hindquarters off of it and get it out of the field? Do you know how to get the liver out and the heart out? Do you know how to get the, the tenderloins out? And, I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. So what you're saying, if you're going to be that guy that takes on the responsibility of killing a big-ass elk or a limited ducks, then you better have the, the, the mindset and the psyche of being, you know what? Now I'm going to prepare this because in duck hunting, you can only have what they call a possession limit. You can't have a freezer full of ducks legally. Right. In elk, you get to kill one. You got to eat that elk because that one elk is going to provide a ton of meat for a family. You don't want to have it carry over or get freezer burnt. So everything that goes into the preparation, the processing, the butchering, and then all of the shrink wrapping and, and, and vacuum sealing and making sure that that meat is taken care of for years or you know days to come, you're going to eat off an elk for a full year. Yeah. So why not get creative and think out of the box? And what we're on Instagram Live right now at the foul life tv and at whiskey bent barbecue and one of the first questions that came in is one that i i promised you i was going to ask this question was the macaroni and cheese which is a great accompaniment 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 what's the word i'm looking for it's a great side dish let's just go <laughs> a side dish um man my freaking vocabulary is terrible up at lake tahoe it's the altitude yeah we're really high when well, right it's now. choppy outside it's i mean dude, there's, there's just a lot of <laughs> things going on accompanying it accompanying it does anybody know the word i'm trying to say Okay, whatever. Anyway. It's your word on it, bro. Listen to this. Accompaniment. We did this. We were at Lake Almanor, and I did the macaroni and cheese for Jared and his family and his wife, Erica, and, and a bunch of people up there, the carriers, the marshes, everybody. And the first thing that Erica, his wife, asked me was, 
I didn't see you boil the noodles. Where, how did you get the noodles boiled? So talk about this for a second because people are like, you're telling me that you put raw elbow macaroni in the, in the foil tin and take it from there, Ward. But that's what blows most people's mind about Traeger yeah. macaroni and cheese is that you don't have to boil the noodles first. So you always, you know, you, you always hear sometimes the, the mad genius comes out of the, you know, the, the need for necessity. So this recipe, the first time it was cooked was in Iowa. Episode five, we just had this season. I, I had tried a very small batch at home, like a half pan. And I'm like, dude, I got to have mac and cheese for 500 people, which I think is more like 700 because we ran out of mac and cheese, I think, before we ran out of meat. Yeah, it was <laughs> um, strong. But, but it was literally, I think we did 16 pans of mac and cheese, and each pan supposed to be able to feed 50 people. Um, but once you saw that mac and cheese, you had to double scoop it. Be wrong if you didn't, you know what I mean? Um, but so what I was looking for is there's no way I want to go back in that kitchen and cook off and boil off 40 pounds of elbow macaroni. So how can I do it? So I kind of started researching, looked at some recipes, tried out. And so what happens is you kind of take a, a, a small pan or a large pan, disposable pan. First thing to always make sure you do is, is spray it down with Pam or cooking spray. Because as all that cheese gets hot, it really, it'll really stick if you don't have that in there. Or if you're from the South, like myself, just rub it down with a little bit of butter. You know, even better, a little more flavor. And so what, what's key about it is you've got to have plenty of milk. And I like to put a little bit of cream in there just for the richness. Um, and then some butter. And then Velveeta. And what you have to do to make sure it works is you have to get the elbows underneath that liquid. Because what happens is at that 350, 375, everything starts to get hot. And what happens is that macaroni starts to cook slowly it starts absorbing all that milk butter cream cheese yeah everything bacon jalapenos i mean the the taste of the, the flavor yeah. of this macaroni and cheese is amazing yeah and 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 to me that that's the key of it and then at the very so i cook it covered the whole time um not the whole time i, I end up uncovering about the last 10 15 minutes but the reason i like to have it covered is because you have to get that macaroni al dente you need that steam. You know, anytime you cover something and you're cooking it, all you're doing is trying to create that little individual steam chamber to make it cook quicker. So I like being able to do that. And then the last 10 minutes, once you can, what I do is I usually take my thermopen and when I've got my thermopen, I'll kind of poke it in that mac and cheese. And as soon as it starts to firm up just a bit, I take the cover off, the foil off, and then I'll add some shredded cheese on top and let it bake at 350 for about 10 minutes. The one thing, and I like to use the very fine cheese because there's more surface area to pick up that little bit of smoke at the very end. Um, and what I'll guarantee the listeners is within the next week or two, I'll, I'll make this recipe, post it on my Instagram, and then put the recipe there. Because um, I know people love to use it. Um, and I think we probably should include that in the cookbook. So you're saying that, so you're telling me right now that this recipe wasn't made public yet? No, not yet. It's not on Traeger.com. So when I, we're cooking it in California, and, and I'm telling everybody, oh, you can go find this on Traeger.com. I'm talking out of my ass. You know what? You're getting us a lot of web hits, though, on Traeger recipes. <laughs> I appreciate it. No, no, it's, it's not there. That, that's one that I just kind of came up with, and, and, and maybe that's the better way to do it. Maybe I need to talk to the recipe team, and maybe we just release it as a Traeger recipe. Either way. but No, I don't, I'm not a, saying that. I'm saying that I had no idea that, I didn't, I had no idea that it wasn't out there yet. No, dude, when I, saw, when I sent it to Jim, it was literally, I have a, on my Dropbox, I've got about, 250 recipes that either I've taught in class or I've cooked at events. And so literally when Jim asked for it, I just copied and pasted out of that. I think I actually just sent him the, the recipe out of my Dropbox. 
Um, but yeah, that that's the way I've I've always done it. Just you know, sometimes you just like like I said. I mean, one one of the other ones. If you don't, can I hit one more recipe, Chad? Real quick. Yeah, please. So another one that's kind of came out of necessity was I needed to have a a green salad for an event. And man, I'm dude, I'm a barbecue guy. Man, I ain't gonna go out there and throw out some Caesar salad. You know what I mean? Like it's got to have something barbecued in it. So fresh spinach, fresh spinach. Pull it out of the bag, wash it real good. Put it in a uh, to put one bag of it in a small pan. Um, take yourself and get. One to two, depending on how much asparagus you like, we're going to have this tomorrow night with the steaks. One or two bunches of asparagus, depending on how thick they are. If they're those big, nice, thick asparagus, just one good bunch of them. If they're kind of out of season and they're the smaller ones, two bunches. Good olive oil. I love prime rib rub. Trigger prime rib rub and olive oil on asparagus is delicious. So cook your asparagus. I usually cook it, if you want a little more smoky flavor, 275 for 25 minutes. If you just want to get it done down and dirty while you're searing your steaks, throw your asparagus on there. It's done in 14 to 16 minutes. Um, pull it off. Let the asparagus rest for about a minute. Immediately cut it in thirds. Throw it right on top of that fresh spinach in that pan and put foil over it for five minutes. What it does is it just lightly wilts that spinach. One thing I don't like about fresh spinach is I don't like when it makes my teeth squeak. So I want to have just enough heat to kind of break that squeakiness of the, of the spinach, but it not to be creamed or stewed spinach. Um, and then once that's done, while it's all hot, you take the foil off, feta cheese, candied pecans, take your favorite barbecue sauce, which mine is Sweet Heat from Traeger, 50-50 with apple cider vinegar. Shake it up real well, dress it over the top of the salad. That's your salad dressing. People be calling you a hero the next day. If you can't find candy pecans, candy your own pecans, or another great alternative is trail mix. What if you're allergic to nuts? I guess we ain't going to do that, man. Well, the other thing is, if you're allergic to nuts, I will tell you, one thing that's a great kind of accompaniment in that salad is, uh, is I like, I like cranberry raisin because it gives it a little bit of sour. Because if you, if you look at that, you've got crunch, you've got savory, You've got a little bit of sweet, but you don't have a sour. And those cran raisins can really give a nice little little sour note to the dish. And so you have a you have the ability to go out and you you're making these recipes up out of not necessity, out of creativity, thinking right. out of the box. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Well, just thinking, I've got to find a way to cook for 500 people, provide a green salad, and 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 and, and something that's going to be you know when I cook it, it's got my name on it. I want it to be the best bite anybody's ever had. But at the same time, I know I've got a lot of people to feed, and I need to do it as efficiently as possible. So that, that, that's kind of the looking at all those different parameters is kind of what makes these things come to life. So let's talk about what we're getting ready to do tomorrow night. I want to, we're going to, or actually tonight, we're going to do a taco bar tonight with duck meat, deer meat, and a, a little bit of pork, but we're mainly going to do wild game tacos tonight. When when you start talking about wild game, is it? Are you talking about me or you? No, you man. I mean, it's all on you, bro. Wait, like, am I handsome right oh, now? Oh, dude, oh. you're looking real handsome, dude. Really? Even though my ears are messed up, can you see my ears? Oh, right you now? can. That's the beautiful thing about ear, dude. You, you look the best I've ever seen you. Those earphones on. <laughs> God, you are mean. One handsome son of a bitch. <laughs> so wild game tacos. Can you sit here right now, not growing up as a hunter, you have some experience cooking wild game. Can you start thinking right now, like, are, 
like a writer, like he'll get a thought in his head or a songwriter will sit down and go, man, I just had this thought. I'm, I got to write down. Like a lot of these songwriters like Montana or Leith or Drake or whoever, yep. they'll get their iPhone out and they'll just take notes and then they'll revisit it later. It might not come to them right then, but they had an idea. Do you do that as a chef? Do you do that as a guy that creates these recipes? Like right now you're thinking ducks, medium rare. Uh, they got a lot of oil in them. They got a lot of high content with fat. Um, do you start thinking like that of like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to use cast iron. I'm going to put them right on the grill. I'm going to mix them with this kind of sauce. I'm going to mix them with this kind of vegetables on the tacos. Or do you just sit there that night and go, boom, I'm just going to do it. And it comes out perfect every time. No, I, I like to think I, uh, in this job, I get an opportunity to sit on an airplane a whole lot. <laughs> and, and that's the kind of stuff when you're answering emails or answering Instagram messages that I, I just kind of think about in the background. And one thing about me, if you ever notice, I always carry a, a small notepad in my back pocket with a pen. Um, one, I think it's because I'm getting older. And two, whether it be a business idea, a recipe idea, whatever it is, I don't want to lose that thought. So I'll, I'll pull it out. I'll scribble it down. I'll put it right back in my pocket. If I'm sitting at my desk, I got a bigger notepad and I do the same thing with. If I got something I need to get done, I write it down or I'll, I'll, I'll feather to the back. And that's kind of my ideas pages. So I'd like to say, I'm always working on different ideas and creativity, but it's not really until I sit down and I, and I see the meat, I see the marbling, I see what we're dealing with that. I kind of go, boom, this is what we're going to do. Does that make any sense? Yeah. A hundred percent. But you, so well, it, it's kind of like when, 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 and I take it, you're probably the same way with hunting. You've got this game plan, but when you go out to the blind and the winds three or four miles an hour, more than you thought to, or less than you thought, you've got to kind of pivot. You know, you, you've got a plan and you're prepared for it, but you've got to pivot based on those exact conditions right you then. Adapt. You yeah. got to adapt. And, and, I think and pivot sounds cooler, dude. Like pivot, like pivot. like a, a pivot, like, oh, like yeah. a pivot yeah. foot. Yeah. Like, were you just trying, you were like getting athletic right now. No, there. dude, I was, I was pivoting off my back foot, dude. Pivoting off your dude, back I was foot. Pulling it, I, was pulling it to, I was pulling it to right field. So besides your comedy routine today, you're, I mean, you're on par today. Like you're literally being really funny. This is the funniest I've ever seen you. And you look good. And I think that, one of the things that what, what, what I was trying to get out of it is that preparation is the key to success. Organization is the key to su success. Absolutely. And when you're starting to take pride as a barbecuer or a griller or a backyard aficionado like our boy Benny Kendrick, and I know that he's on here live. Benny is a... Okay, what's up, buddy? What's up, Kendrick? Barbecue. If you guys had, don't follow Kendrick Barbecue, do it. The guy throws down. His recipes are awesome. They are. And, that, and I, I'm, I'm talking about him because when you watch one of his videos, he's organized. He, and I know that he doesn't just do it for video and he's all tattooed up. He doesn't look like somebody that you would think would be like, man, this, he looks like somebody at Sturgis on a Harley, no doubt about it. But then when you hear him talk and the sweetness in his voice and his preparation, and his passion and love for barbecue and food and his family and being a provider, and then you look at his organizational skills, everything is laid out like it needs to be. And yep. that's the thing about being a good grill master is it's not it can't be chaotic no you're gonna miss something you're gonna cook overcook something i've done it before you get too many things going on at one time and all of a sudden you're like oh shit i forgot that yep. the garlic bread's in the oven in the boiler well, I, I completely just messed that up well, right and, and I, will, I will tell you one thing i'm big on first off yesterday you did something when we were loading in here clay's boy chase dude heck of a help yesterday when we were trying to get everything in this house but when it came to the barbecue stuff you're like hey let's put this right here get all the sauces aligned get all the rubs aligned so when we're cooking we know everything we've got at our disposal. It's just those kind of little thoughts. You know what I mean? To make sure you got yourself organized. Second is, dude, we all walk around with these things. There's three phones looking at me right now. Use the timer. When I cook a barbecue contest, I probably have eight to 10 timers going 
at all times. And it may be an alarm to just look at my ribs, temp my brisket, you know, take the pork out of the Yeti and let it rest for a minute. But all these timers, we get busy, especially at a public event like that. You get to socialize and always have those things. When you're cooking in your backyard, you've got that phone. If you're on a timber line, set your temperature alarm. Hey, when it hits this temp, let me know. Or just use your phone alarm. Like you said, Chad, I got garlic bread in the oven. You didn't mean in the oven. You mean I had garlic bread in the Traeger. Um, hey, don't forget about it. Just set yourself an alarm. Hey, it should take 12 minutes. 12-minute alarm, boom, it goes off. It's just that reminder. Because cooking is about being social and hanging out with friends and family and community. So you're, you're bound to miss one. Just use what we have in our hands about every minute of our life to make yourself better. Yeah, and I think that with with preparation, though, and thinking it out and being yeah. well thought out, mm -hmm. is that you you limit or lessen the amount of the amount of mistakes that you could potentially I make. I completely agree. And I think that there's no worse feeling in the world that if you're going to take on the responsibility of being the grill master that night, you don't want to mess up. You don't want to you don't want to like serve something yeah. that you're not yeah. proud of, right? And that's what I'm that's what I'm trying to get at is that somebody like Benny, he's throwing down on these recipes that are out of the box that they're not easy. And I like putting a difficulty level on different recipes because some of you're like, well, that's a cakewalk. Yeah. And then you start really breaking down some of the recipes that you do. They're not that easy. You have to be prepared. You have to be ready to accept failure when you do it. And you got to keep at it until you get it right. Just like anything else in life. Well, I think I showed you when I when I showed up in Iowa that first night at, at the bar when we were hanging out and had one or two drinks of Crown Royal. I can't remember what it was. Maybe two. Um, I showed you I had two pages of notes of the exact timeline for the next 36 hours. This is when everything was going to be trimmed. This is when it's going on the Traeger. This is the temperature it's going on. And, and hey, if it, if it runs behind or it runs ahead, then you get back to that adapting thing that we talked about earlier. But always have that plan laid out so that you're at least that far ahead of the game. And then if it's just these small changes to get it right, that's the easy part. But you know, it's like when I go into a competition on Tuesday, I have a spreadsheet. On Tuesday, it has all my tasks that I need to do from Tuesday afternoon until Saturday before awards. Everything I need to do, shopping, my shopping list, my recipes, what, what injections, sauces, all those things need to be made. At what time? The whole cook schedule for the, for the day and a half that I'm there. Everything is already laid out. Because guess what? If you have success, the hardest part, replicate. So as long as you document and know what you're doing and, and, and then be able to replicate it, that that's the key to being a, you know, every cook is a lesson, but being able to take those lessons you learn and apply them to the next cook. That's what makes you a great barbecue person. Okay. Speaking of barbecue, and I'm going to get to some questions that are coming up here shortly, but last, I'm, a, I'm a Libra. Last, that one come up. Yeah. I'm a Libra too. Whoa. Oh, that's this energy. I'm feeling across the table. October 21st is my birthday. October, right? I'm going to be 33. Yeah. 33 years old. 32, man. Oh, 32 you are? <laughs> Plus 10. <laughs> so talk to me a little bit about this corn on the cob salad that we're going to make tonight um, or tomorrow night. Tomorrow night yeah. We're going we're gonna to cook it tomorrow night. Marcus Messini, who owns this house we're in at Lake Tahoe, is bringing up some New Yorks. He's bringing up some ribeyes off of his cattle ranch here in the great state of Nevada. Talk to me about that that corn on the cob. We got a ton of ears fresh out of the garden corn on the cob from our buddy Tom Rash. It's looking amazing. Okay, tell me about this salad we're going to make. All right, so I like to call it kind of corn fiesta. Um, it, it reminds me kind of a, a street corn, but minus the Parmesan. So I like to take, I have the Traeger up at 500 degrees. Um, I like to char that corn off. 
So if we're doing it like, we'll, I'll probably prepare it on the Pro 34. Um, so we'll have it up at 450. I'll be charring the corn on the bottom, and then I'll have some poblanos and some jalapenos on the top rack. Um, also, probably some red pepper and a little bit of tomato I'll have up there blistering also. Um, so once that becomes ready to go, if you ever want to peel peppers, which I like to peel peppers in an application like this, once they're charred and once they're really hot, throw them into a plastic bag. Oh, damn. That's tapped out, bro. That is. Um, so I like to throw it in a plastic bag and let it sit in that plastic bag for three to four minutes and it softens the skin and you can pull that skin right off of the peppers and then dice them up. So it's going to be charred corn that we're going to take off the cob. One jalap, uh, probably we're probably going to double batch it. So it'll be two jalapenos, probably two or three poblanos for guys that haven't, or folks that haven't cooked with poblanos before super, super mild pepper. Gives you a little bit of heat, but nothing too crazy. Um, so it's going to be a poblano, uh, usually probably one tomato diced up in there. And then um, I mix it all together. A little bit of salt, a little bit of pepper. At the very end, I like to hit it with some lime juice. You need a little acid. There's a lot of richness there, a lot of savory. So usually I take two limes, cut them in half, char them off on the grill. Remember, anytime you char fruit on a grill you're increasing what's called the bricks level because it's almost like dehydrating it the higher the bricks the higher that flavor profile so like these peaches we're going to do for dessert tomorrow night that peach cobbler if you were to get peaches really hot they have a sweet flavor profile so if you if you if you sear them off at 450 500 degrees you're dehydrating it a bit which makes that sweetness more intense limes and lemons when you do the same thing with them once again, that sweet and sour tart, it's going to intensify as you take more of that out of it. Another thing with fruit, too, is if you'll take it when you cut it and dip it in a little bit of turbinado sugar. And we talked about this on the last podcast. If you're going to use a sugar in anything barbecue related, you're making your own rub, you're making your own sauce, use turbinado sugar. Turbinado sugar by the brand name is known as sugar in the raw. Um, Real, real simple thing about sugar. The larger the granular, the higher the melt point. So when you use really fine brown sugar in a barbecue application, you'll notice it gets black dots all over it. That's because at barbecue temperatures, that sugar over caramelizes and burns. It looks bad. It tastes bad. So you use turbinado sugar. So anytime you cut fruit, cut it, have a little bowl of turbinado sugar, dip it in it. Because what that's going to do is that's going to increase the caramelization process quickly at high heat. So now we're going to get the caramelization on the outside, the increased flavor on the inside, and when you squeeze it and put it into that uh, corn dish, and then I like to finish it off with a little bit of greenery. Depending on what flavor pro profile you're going for, you can use some thyme, you can use some rosemary, some parsley, a little bit of green on top, a little bit of herb on top. Delicious. That'll probably be in the cookbook, too. And you... This girl says, damn good corn salad. Just made that recipe. <laughs> so you, this corn salad, is it out there? Or is this something else that you just come up with? It's in the reservoir, dude. It is? Why do you think I wear it? Dude, why do you think I wear a size 8 hat, dude? A lot of recipes to keep up here, kid. That's what you're saying. A lot of recipes. <laughs> um, when, you start, when you start coming up with something like a corn fiesta salad, nobody, when you hear salad, you don't think of a grill. Yeah. That's what amazes me, right? You're like, 
You're like you're you 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 said salad. Yeah. You just gave us two salad recipes that that are made on a grill. Yep. That's badass. Well, and, and I'll tell you the other one that is killer, dude. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Caesar salad. Anybody here, dude? See, I I don't eat a regular salad at a restaurant. I always get Caesar salad. A, a great grilled Caesar salad. Take the whole romaine heart, cut it in half. Brush it down with some good olive oil. What's that olive oil we've been using the last Nubo, two days? Nubo Dude, that is a, that's an amazing, tasty olive oil. Really, really good. So I would take just a little, little bit of that, some salt and pepper. Once again, have your Traeger at 450 degrees. And literally, I'll put the face of both sides of that, that romaine heart down on the grill for about two to three minutes. Once you see the top of the romaine heart start to pull back, it's done. And then lay them out. It's actually one of the first dishes I cooked for Dan Patrick. And a little bit of a little bit of dressing, a little bit of crouton, a little bit of Parmesan. It's a great presentation and it's so delicious. That's a grilled Caesar salad. Now that is on the Traeger website. That is TraegerGrills.com. Go to recipes. Look for, uh, I believe it's either smoked or grilled Caesar salad. And you have, now you just gave us three salad recipes. You've given us a macaroni and cheese recipe. You've talked about asparagus and Brussels sprouts. We've talked about the different, the different rubs that are out there to accompany these, these different forms of carbs or complex carbohydrates or proteins or whatever it might be. And now you, I want to go into, I want to go into the next step just real quick. When you're, when you're making the, the, the cobbler, do you prepare peaches with cutting them in half and putting them face down, dipping them in the simple sugar and cutting them up and putting them into the in, into the crust and then cooking it, or is it all self-contained just like the macaroni and cheese is? Um, it, it depends on, you know, do you want to get written into the will or do you not want to get written into the will? If you want to get written into the will, you actually prepare the peaches first. Like I said, cut them in half, turbinado sugar, and, and, and if I was going to cook them in a cobbler, they would probably be turbinado sugar onto the grill at, at 450 or 500 for a minute to a minute and a half. Then I'd pull them off, let them rest for a couple of minutes, then cube them up and throw them in the cast iron dish with the topping. Um, if you don't want to get rid of the will or there's no reason to get rid of the will, then yeah, I would just cube them up raw from the start and throw them in with the, with the uh, topping and be good to go. So now we got the whole spectrum. We've done wild game. We've done beef. We've done pork. We've done chicken. We've done vegetables. We've done salads and we've done desserts all on a freaking backyard grill. Yeah, on a Traeger. And, and, and I think we've done it in like less than an hour. How much stuff uh, as far as the cast iron? Explaining that. So cast iron to me, there's a couple of great things about cast iron. One, it's an awesome insulator. It holds heat really well. And I also love the, the char you get off of it. So, like, if you look at the, the new Ranger grill, there's actually a cast iron grate that covers the whole cooking surface. Makes it great for cooking a small breakfast. Makes it great for, for searing a steak. Um, so, I just, cast iron conserves heat really well and makes a, a, a pretty good cook, cook chamber. Um, and, I mean, dude, you got a chance of either cooking it in cast iron or an aluminum pan. Cast iron all day, every day. Unless you're cooking for 500 in Iowa. Then it's aluminum pan all day, every day. There just wasn't enough cast iron to go in. What do we have out there? Seven thirty-fours? Eight. Eight. We had eight eight pro thirty-fours out there, full of butts and briskets and vegetables and, and, and cherry pies and cobblers and everything. And then we got to give a shout out to our boy Kyle Fisher that was out there cooking oh, with he us. Rocked it. Dude, Kyle, Kyle got a Kyle got a Kyle got a couple of behind the scenes looks in the episode. You seen him in there? He yeah, looks, yeah, he, he was pretty stoked about it. He looks good on TV. He does. And then you got Tyler Stark. They say the camera adds ten pounds, but holy shit, yeah. Tyler! Dude. It looked like about fifteen twenty, huh? 
Oh, T. Steve's was looking good, dude. <laughs> I just he love was, it. I, dude, you, I, 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 dude, he was looking like he was ready. He, he was looking like he was cutting weight like Chad Mendes, dude. He's looking good. You got to mess with Tyler Stark because he lo- he's just a male model. <laughs> I mean, when he walks into the office, I guarantee everybody in Traeger's just like, wow, poster boy. It's, it, it's hard to be that pretty all the time, man. I wouldn't want to be Tyler Stark. So we got some questions rolling in here. One of them's right here is, give. G- hold on, let me read this. I'm trying to do too many things at one time. Do you have any special recipes for onions? I don't know what that means, but now onions are a very important part to a lot of people as far as going in to different meals. Yep. But I'm an onion freak, a garlic freak. Yep. I love to eat different types of onions. I love to prepare onions in different ways. And Michelle 14 wants to know, do you have any special ways to uh, prepare your onions on the Traeger? Um, the only ones I've really done in the past is I have with onions. Um, I'm not a raw onion fan. Cooked onion I like. So in the past, what I've done is taken, and I'm a big fan of sweet onions, Vidalia onions, being from the South. Um, cut a Vidalia onion in half. I make a little compound butter that's melted with, it's kind of heavy on garlic and butter. I'll dip the whole onion in it and then put it on the Traeger at 325 and let it cook until that onion really starts to separate. And then you can either dress it and kind of do a grilled blooming onion, or you can uh, take it and cut it up and put it into whatever dish you're going to put it into i've done it that way and made my own spaghetti sauce and it was absolutely delicious um doug rogue cookers doug shadden oh dad he, hey dad a, hey dad how you doing there doug he's on he says i love your black traeger shirt chad it's actually navy blue it's actually navy blue i just make it look black that's what i do <laughs> <laughs> so talk to me about doug a little bit doug and his wife came down to um arkansas northwest arkansas and cooked backstage for zach brown one night with us Yep. They cooked for 90 or 100 people, and they absolutely knocked it out of the park. I'm talking like um, everything that we've talked about today from the butts. They did bacons. They did briskets. They did desserts. They did vegetables. Yep. He's a badass. Him yep. and his wife are a badass team. Talk about your association with him and what you've seen well, him do over the last few years. I'll tell you what. Jen may be a little stronger than Doug. Jen, Jen's a damn good cook. Yeah. Doug's a pretty good cook. <laughs> uh, no, no. In, in all seriousness, man, I mean, you're talking about a guy – and it's not until you meet Doug Shiding. You know, one of the awesome things about my job is while these guys work for Traeger, let's, you know, Doug, Benny, Matt Pittman, all part of my influencer team. Yeah, we, we do that together at Traeger, but all these guys are my dear friends. Um, I, I love working with Doug. You know, one thing people don't know about Doug, he's a rocket scientist. Oh, and he went to one of the top engineering schools in the world, Texas A&M. And guess where he finished in his class? First. Number one. But you would never know it hanging out with him. He laughs a lot, tells some, like, I'm telling, like, 10 out of 10 jokes today. Doug's got a lot of 8 out of 10 jokes. Yeah, 6 out of 10. <laughs> He's not funny at all. He's trying to joke with me on this live deal. But, like, but hey, his laugh, dude, that Doug shouting laugh is classic. Yeah, contagious. But, but when it gets to barbecue skills, I mean, we talk about the American Royal. We talk about Memphis in May. We talk about all these world championships. Dude, that guy's won Houston Livestock Rodeo. So Houston Livestock Rodeo is this. I went there because of Doug two years ago. Been to 110 competitions across 28 states. When I walked into Houston Livestock Rodeo, it was just different. These companies will put up anywhere from 50 to half a million dollars, 50,000 to half, to half a million dollars for these tents. And Doug, Doug got to cook there probably two or three years before I knew him. And he cooked chicken. And, and when you cook at Houston, you cook half chickens. And uh, won the chicken category and then won it overall. 
And dude, th- those belt buckles, if you ever see Doug always wears that belt buckle, yeah. guess what? If I had one, I'd wear it every damn day too. Because that probably is, I will go on record that that's probably besides the American Royal Open where there's 600 teams every year, probably the hardest barbecue trophy to win. And he's got it. And um, what I love about Doug and Jen that, that's really cool is they're always cooking. Always cooking. Like, I'll get these recipes from Doug, and I'm like, what have you been doing? He's like, well, me and Jen only cooked it 18 times, but I think the recipe's right this time. Whereas I'm more, by, more of a kind of fly by the seat of my pants. Like, I test cooked half a batch. I've thought it through a lot. Cook it in an event and go, man, that's damn good. I'm, I'll make this little tweak next time. It, it, it's just kind of yin and yang. And, and when we do an event together, you guys will notice I called him dad earlier. It's because he really is like, Chad, have you thought about this? I'm like, yeah, I covered that. Oh, man, I hadn't thought about that. Thank you so much. But, uh, but man, I love working with the guy. I'm so happy he's part of the brand. And, and Doug's been cooking on Traeger for over a decade. He, he, is, he is Traeger true. You just said don't forget to mention that there was 424 entries when he won that. He's really on one today. Hey, He's, hey, 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 Doug, hey, chill hey, out, hey, dude. Hey, hey, Belding, I thought I put him over pretty good. <laughs> I thought you I did called too. it the second best title you could ever win in barbecue. I know. I can't believe it. Especially when 424 people are in the field. Yeah. How's that, Dad? How's that, Dad? Give, give me the thumbs up, Dad. <laughs> like, give me some questions off of a Whiskey Bent Barbecue. The one a little before was, I want to I want to grill puffer fish. Sorry, I want to grill puffer fish. What's I think somebody's yeah. messing with us. Next question. <laughs> Don't those kill you? I thought they killed you. Yeah. Right Why there. would somebody mess with us? Grill puffer Why fish. Why would somebody waste time? McTeams 3842. That's my boy Darren, dude. What up, what up, D? Is he messing with you? No, I, 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 Darren, I, I apologize, dude. I don't, I don't know how to do puffer fish. Tell him to send a picture of a puffer fish. I want to make sure he's catching puffer fish. <laughs> Nobody keeps a puffer fish. You just don't catch a puffer fish and then tell somebody you caught a puffer fish. No. You say I caught a salmon or a sailfish, but not a puffer. Or a salmon. <laughs> salmon. But you don't say puffer. No. Nah. Who says puffer? I caught a grouper, puffer, fish. <laughs> a grouper. <laughs> <laughs> what um, else? We got anything else? I'm going back. There was a lot early. Now these ones are. I got a ton of them too if you want some of them. Yeah. Give yeah. me your best shot. Ooh, Pat Benatar. Speaking of that, I'm going to go to this real quick. You talked about Doug's belt buckles, and he does wear them, and he he tucks his shirt into his Wranglers, and he puts his cowboy hat, his his 10-gallon Stetson, and it's rodeo week. I'm from Texas, boy. Everything's bigger. I wear it during rodeo week and want to cook for Zach Brown. (laughs) (laughs) And you've cooked for another guy that wears a big-ass belt that had it on his waist for a long time in the WWE, Stone Cold, who is a bona fide badass. Oh, um, he throws down on Traeger. Yep. What's, the, what's the best recipe you've ever cooked with Stone Cold? I'll tell you what, man. When I, when I met him, he was uh, on a super-restricted keto diet. Um, I'll tell you what, the guy's in better shape than when he wrestled. He's brick wall, but he eats a lot of chicken and a lot of salmon. And uh, I, I cooked salmon for him on the Timberline at 275, um, he could have some fats, obviously being on keto. Yeah. So dude, he loved that. That I think that's what sold him on the grill was the chicken and the salmon. Like he was just like, dude, it's so good. And uh, I haven't got to cook much more for him besides that, because when we were hanging out, he was just always on that kind of that restricted keto deal. But, um, he loves cooking on it. I, I, th- there's a picture when I had first sent him the Timberline, when I, I took it out to Agua Dulce's when they were filming uh broken skull ranch and, he puts it in his truck to bring it home afterwards. 
And dude, uh, eight fifty. Uh, he actually had a thirteen hundred Timberline. He didn't pick it up by himself. So two hundred sixty one pounds. No, he had him and a couple crew guys put it in his truck, and uh, and, and and they put it in the truck. And when he got home, it's just him and his wife. So he didn't have any buddies to come over and help him unload it for the first couple of days. So literally, there's a picture of him with the grill on the back of his truck, cooking salmon and chicken on it, because <laughs> he didn't want to go without cooking on his Traeger, but. He didn't have anybody to help him get it out the back of the truck. <laughs> this guy wants to know uh, what's the importance. What's the importance of resting meat? Talk about the importance of resting meat. Well, so Clay, real quick, I know you're, I know you're new to this podcast thing, but when I you know. come in and tell a question, you got to get kind of close. I know, got to get in here tight. Hey, Jared, didn't somebody train us on this earlier? We were well trained before it this happened. The guy that's not yeah. doing it so well. Right? Yeah. Okay. All right. The importance of resting meat. Um, resting meat. Once again, we talked about the carryover cook a little bit earlier. When you pull that meat off the grill, depending on the thickness of it, it's going to cook anywhere from two to five degrees more. Um, the reason you want to rest is if you think about it just from a kind of graphic point of view, you have all these little cells bouncing around, all this moisture going crazy. When you pull it off the grill, that doesn't stop. So what you want to have, you, you want all those, all, that, all those water molecules to settle down and redistribute across the meat. And you want them to be settled. And once they're settled, now you can slice it and serve it. If, if you ever take something right off the grill and start to slice it, the one thing I can guarantee you is there's going to be a puddle on your cutting board, and it's going to be a puddle of flavor that nobody's going to get to taste unless you run every slice through it. That's why you rest me. And a question just came in as far as uh, it's a, a lot of the questions coming in on the Foul Life TV or Wild Game related. Do you have a favorite recipe for salmon? Is there something that somebody can do besides the regular just lemon pepper and some lemon juice? Man, I will tell you what, um, and I don't want to come off as somebody trying to push a product, but chicken and salmon are made for that line and kugel summer shanty rub that we collaborated with them on at Traeger. It is so good. So I like a little bit of good olive oil, light, light, light on top of the salmon, some summer shanty uh, rub. And then if you like more of a smoked salmon, about 200 degrees super smoked, or if you don't have super smoked, 180, and make a truly smoked salmon. But if you want more of an entree salmon, 275, as soon as I start to see that fat bubble up from it, I go down to the thinnest part. If I can take my, my temperature probe and peel up a little piece of salmon, it's done for me. If you're cooking salmon past medium, just go to Long John Silver. Medi That's going to be better fish. Medium rare or medium? Me me if you're going over medium, you're killing it. I prefer medium rare, but I'm going to give people if they want to go the extra five degrees. I prefer raw salmon. That's because you look at you, dude. Sushi, sushi, though. Like yeah, you, sushi. You're a sushi grade guy, man. Can't hide money. <laughs> Can't hide money. Boy, somebody's on a comedy kick today. <laughs> Oh, I hang out with Joe Rogan. I'm going to try my game at stand-up here real quick. I'm going to get up and tell a bunch of jokes. He, he, he needs an open act for 19, dude. Maybe trying to diversify. So a nun walks into a bar. <laughs> <laughs> I can already see Chad, Chad War opening for Joe Rogan tonight here at the Comedy Store in downtown historic Los Angeles. Chad, what would your middle name be? What would your nickname be? What would you want? I don't know, man. You got to come up with one. Dude, I you you up. brought it up, dude. You got creative freedom. Your create my creative freedom on your nickname would be, oh, man, your comedy name. I'm gonna say 
the white Richard Pryor. <laughs> <laughs> Chad, no. the white Richard Pryor Ward is on the mic. You know, let's get back to another question. When you start, when you start to talk about upland birds, pheasant, very easy to overcook, yes. very easy to dry out. Not a lot of oil in a pheasant, okay? So when people cook pheasant, a lot of people, like, they'll put it into different, like, uh, they'll put it in, like, cream of mushroom gravy, and then they'll put it in a saucepan, and they'll just put it in the oven and bake it for a while. Yep. Pheasant is terrible, and I mean absolutely terrible if you overcook it. And a lot of people think, well, it's a white meat. You got to cook it like chicken. Not true. Not true. And so have you have you had any much experience in upland birds? And this guy wants to know how to, how to prepare a chucker, which is a is a partridge, or uh, uh, they're mainly a, a rock bird out in the West United States. They live in rim rock areas. I don't know if you've ever seen a chucker partridge. But talk to me a little bit about how you would prepare a wild game animal, a wild game upland bird, as opposed to a chicken. Man, it, it, it's hard for me because you obviously haven't taken me on enough trips to let me cook enough of these upland birds. But, you know, the only thing I can really talk about wild game-wise as far as, as birds go is, is turkey. And I've cooked hundreds of those. The, the thing that I find, and I think it would translate to chuckers also, is leverage that carryover cook. Don't ever get yourself close enough to drying it out. Know that even if it's a, and, and I'm taking it, this isn't a, Clay, help me out here. It's not a huge bird, right? So, I mean, it's a very small breast. But even know that with that heat and it being that small, it's going to carry over cook two to three degrees. So, when you get really close to that temp, pull it. And hey, let's say you pull it five degrees earlier, pull it, put it in, put it on a sheet tray and wrap it real tight. And that'll take the carryover cook from being two to three degrees to four to five degrees if you do that for 10 minutes. So my thing is always, you can always throw it back on the Traeger. You can never give it CPR. Never can. Nope. So so that to me, when you're cooking something that you're really, that's beautiful up the bird right there. See that guy? Beautiful. What is Gotta it? Gotta cook a chucker. The chucker. Chucker. Yeah, those are pretty. Oh, they're beautiful. But people that hunt them are dumb. Well. <laughs> I'm just saying. Hey, I'm to be known chase right them now. up the hey, hill. Uh, chase I, them I, down I, the hill. Hey, I apologize to the uh, amazing Foul Life TV follower that asked a chucker question. <laughs> uh, Chad Belding did not mean that. Let's cut that from the no, podcast. I mean, hey, I mean, hey, Tom, let's cut that. No, I mean it. They're crazy. They Chucker run uphill and they fly downhill. So really? You, yeah. So your dog chases them, and they're 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 flying uphill, and then you go, "Oh, I just saw them land." And by the time you get up to where you've seen them land, they're freaking ran all the way back to downhill. So yeah. it, it's pretty much like trying to to shoot Roadrunner. Yeah. Uh, much. And, yeah. They, and they got this little call. No, no, and you can hear them, and you you look, you think you hear them right there, and you go up there and get to the top of the ridge, and by the time you get up there, they're laughing at you because they're over here, and they're making the sound, and you're like, "Mother." You gotta walk then. So we all, we always say that ch- chucker hunters are walking proof that duck hunters are way smarter. Because- wow. I don't know if we're way smarter because we're crazy too, but there's just something about somebody that will walk sitting in a blind, and- cooking on a tailgater, just waiting for ducks to come in on a yeah, pond. Yeah. yeah, that's why it's walking. Sounds amazing. Walking to me. proof. It's <laughs> the best. It's the best. And Clay, give him us another question off of Whiskey Bent Barbecue. Everybody, Whiskey Bent Barbecue is a company out of Florida that Chad has put himself in the mix of. He started Whiskey Bent Barbecue with the ability to open up retail locations to sell every single item 
a barbecue connoisseur aficionado would like to have in his backyard or at his fingertips, including Traeger grills, rubs, sauces, accessories, different rubs from and, and sauces from all over the country. Chad can explain it more, but check them out. Whiskey Bent Barbecue. Follow him on Instagram and, and try to find passion in something that he's doing is easy because when he throws down on these recipes and he's told you a few of them today, and he literally does have hundreds and hundreds of them. When I asked him about our, our first cookbook, he's like, let's do 100 recipes and I got a lump in my throat. I'm like, what, a hundred? Like, it's hard to write out a recipe. We talked about this before, and where I'm going with this, Ward, is I cook off the uh, just off the cuff most of the time. Yep. I'm, I'm, I'm what you would call maybe a freestyle, my freestyle rap and my freestyle barbecue Strong. game is all in Strong, bar, right? boy. And, oh, you're a rapper. Yeah, I'm sure. pretty good. But, Dude, I, you're B-I-G when it comes to rapping and C-H-A-D when it comes to grilling. Wow. Wow. He is on a roll. He is on a roll. But if you think about it, a lot of people go what's your recipe write down your recipe i don't i don't i'm all like oh my gosh I, I don't remember what i put in it because yep. i'm just like going and going and, and and figuring stuff out on the fly and to write a recipe is different you got to really sit down and think about it when you write down a recipe it's not like here's the ingredients go you have to write step for step what you do because we take for granted when we're around a guy like you like he makes it look so easy so i can do it but that's not the case. And then when you're writing down these recipes for this cookbook, what I was talking to Mendez about this, he's, he calls me, he's like, dude, holy freak, man. It's a lot of work to yeah. write a recipe out. So when you're doing these cookbooks, and it's totally opposite of the way that I cook. A lot of people for years, what's that recipe? I need to get your recipes. I'm like, I don't have any recipes. They're like, oh, you're just too good to give us recipe. No, I just suck at remembering what yeah. I put in any of these things. And that's what I'm so excited about this cookbook. But are you the same way like that? Are you more of a freestyle cook? Or do you believe in writing down every recipe you have in case somebody asks for it? Well, I, I'm, I'm different from a point of view of I remember the best brisket. I, when I first got into barbecue, brisket was the, my best category in competition. And I cooked an amazing one at my house and didn't record one note. I, I knew in my head, like, what time I put it on. Like, after the cook, after I tasted it, I started writing things down, and I maybe retained 60% of it. Hashtag blame it on the crown. But that, 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 that's kind of the way it was. And so from that point on, when I tasted that brisket and I couldn't document the whole cook, I said, dude, there'll never be another time that I cook something that's meaningful to me. And I don't write it down. So at my house, I've got a stack of probably six black and white composition books like we had in high school and college. And, dude, there's, there's some barbecue secrets in there. And, and literally, it's just competition cooks. Just, hey, put the brisket on at, at 1030 at night, rainy, 85% humidity, 90 degrees outside. And just so I could understand, not that I'm going to try to replicate those conditions, but if I went back and go, Hey, last year when I was in South Carolina at this contest, what was I up against? And I can read that on my drive up there and go, all right, well, it's, it's 15 degrees cooler, not as much humidity. It's probably going to cook a little slower. You know what I mean? So maybe I need to put it on 15, 20 minutes earlier. K kind of those things. So I used to be kind of like you, just cooked off the cuff. But now I'm a lot more regimented as far as I know a lot of people because it, it's my business are going to ask for the recipe. And if it's good, one thing, man, at my store, we do a class every month. If I'm in town, I run it. If not, my boy Griff and, and Danny do an amazing job. But, dude, if I have a great recipe, I want to share it. And I don't mind sharing it with guys that I compete against because at the end of the day, you got to out-execute me. You know, so, and, hey, if you do that day, 
I'll be the first dude to come give you a hug, shake your hand, and we'll go over to the bar. I'll buy you a drink. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I, I love being able to share and help make people better cooks. So that's why I think I'm so much more into documenting things instead of just being so fly off the cuff. So would you say this in your competition world too? I mean, you're not sitting there sharing any of this or any of this knowledge or intelligence with your competitors, are you? Yeah. Yeah. I I have no problem. We do a, uh, and we'll probably do one here in October because October is kind of the kickoff in Florida for competition season because it starts to cool down. So our big 10 months of competing in Florida are kind of October to April. Because come May, it starts getting pretty. Nobody wants to sit around on a blacktop and fry eggs in June and cook a barbecue competition because it's 130, 135 degrees on that blacktop. So October to April is kind of our heyday. So in October, we'll probably do a 100 bucks a person, all-day class. I like to say it's for beginning barbecue teams, but if somebody that's cooked 50 contests pays their 100 bucks and signs up to come, they can. I want to make it affordable. I want to grow competition barbecue and I want people to come out of the gate and do well. And once again, like, like, you know, I was looking at Jared when we were talking about it. I, uh, dude, you still, you still got to out execute. So, you know, you, you still got to out execute. And, and, and some of the things that I, the, where I want to go with this right now, Chad, and, and I want Jared and Clay to, to fill in on some of this is I go back? when you, yeah. are we going back to Facebook? Are we going back to Instagram live? Is it all the same thing? Instagram. It's the what? The gram. The gram is what the you gram. call Instagram? Yeah. You're that tight with it? Well, I didn't. I took that from Post Malone. Okay, so a, a, lot of the, a lot of the things that I get on our Instagram live today is about getting the wild game, the gamey taste out of something. Yeah. Okay, and here's the deal. It's like right now it's 80 or 85 to 95 degrees daily in the state of Nevada, and antelope season's open, both rifle and archery, okay? My brother Clint's getting ready to start his rifle hunt right now. Antelope are notorious for being terrible tasting meat, and I'm like, well, I used to have that thought process, but they can taste awesome because what people do is they kill it in the heat. They sit there. They have a cold beer. They take a bunch of pictures. They put it on their tailgate. They have another cold beer. They go back. And the, the number one thing with that meat is to get it on ice, get the blood out of it, get the fur off of it, get it, you know, cooling down. Because the worst thing that's going to happen to an antelope, and you can't take care of meat in 95-degree weather. And I'm, I want to take this a step further is that tonight I would safely say that the brisket that we're going to cook tonight is easily the best piece of brisket that you'll ever eat at Snake River Farms. You agree? Yeah. We're going to get that on pretty quick after the podcast. Yeah, we got to do that. Hot and fast brisket cook coming your way. So what I'm saying, Chad, is that preparation in meat is everything. Now, a regular feed cow is a totally different than a Wagyu feed cow that yep. Snake River produces. An antelope that you keep out in the sun, as opposed to getting it on ice and getting it cooled down right away ASAP, is totally different. They're yep. a complete opposite animal. So how important is the preparation? And I'm talking everything down to cutting the membrane out of a rack of ribs. Yep. Somebody t- called me the other day. They go, dude, my ribs sucked. I said, well, did you cut the membrane out? And they're like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, that's a big part of it, right? Yep. Cutting, cutting, getting everything off of a brisket. Talk to me the preparation of something that you buy in the store or online that's not wild game. We could talk about wild game and prepping it all day. There's a lot that goes into it, but there's also something to be said about store-bought meat and getting it prepped to make it the best experience, right? Yeah, so let's talk about two of them. Let's talk about brisket and ribs. We'll start with ribs. So we're not going to really cut the membrane off the back. I I like to use a butter knife, and on the thickest thickest rib, because kind of ribs kind of taper down, on the thickest rib, I like to go to the top and kind of just use your fingernail and get it started. 
and then take a piece of paper towel and grab it and run all the way down the whole first rib and then slowly pull it across. I always call it, if you don't take that membrane off, it's a flavor content. You're not going to get any flavor in the back of the rib. And when you eat a rib, what's the first thing that touches the rib? Your tongue touches the bottom of it. Um, and it also gives it a, a, a jerky type consistency. You can't get a clean bite out of it. So to me, that's key when it comes to ribs. Um, and now, now brisket for me, like when we go to trim this one, I'm going to trim all the fat off the top. Because if you don't trim the fat off the top, what happens is you rub it down. When that fat gets hot, it's made up of oil, right? And what's that oil going to do? It's going to make all that rub run off, the, run off the brisket. So now you're going to have oil slicks going down your brisket, but at the same time, you're going to have these bare spots that have no flavor. The reason I like to season a brisket heavily, there's that much seasoning going on that thick piece of meat. There's very little seasoning there. So you got to make sure that that top is all clear of fat and seasoned down really good so you can get that spice blend into that richness of the meat. Make sense? 100%. So so you're saying that on a brisket, the only thing that you really have to cut off is the crown? Is that what that's called? Is Would that be called the crown of fat? I mean, I'm no, trying... No, 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 no. So, so you've got... Is that brisket sitting out here right now? Yeah. Let me go grab it real quick. Wait, we grab... Tyler, we grab that brisket that's sitting right there on that grill... It's heavy. It's 17 pounds, so 17, muscle up. 17 Tyler, point. Tyler, use your legs. Now, 17.2 pounds. <laughs> and, I, and I will say I was pretty proud of myself yesterday. Yeah, All two and a half foot hey, of his legs. So, <laughs> hey, so, so Belding picks it up out of the cooler yesterday, tag facing towards him, and I go, it's about a 17-pound brisket. <laughs> and I looked at it, I was like, 17.2, Dan. Someone stole it. Somebody stole Man. my brisket. Bear. Man, we got the hamburger and the brisket burglar. Yeah. Might yeah. be a bear. It probably is a bear. close cousins. Um, well, it, so we are having wild game tacos tonight. No brisket. No, it's here. Yeah, it's somewhere. Hey Chase, check check the fridge. See if there's a big hunk of meat in there. Well, I'm scared now. Where is it? Somebody stole it from us. Right I think you I really what? think I really think that a bear came up and grabbed it off of the porch. Could happen. We are in the bear country, dude. Hey, them bears love Snake River Farms briskets. <laughs> they, that's the only briskets they steal. That would suck. That's going to be really bad. Um, All right. Well, well, hey, we're going to have to. Uh, so, so what? What you're talking about, I believe, is there's a difference in the point and the flat, and and around the back of that point, there's a lot of fat on it, right? That that's what you're talking about. Like you've you've got the flat that comes down this way, and then on the back side, you've got the point that has a lot of fat on the back of it. Is that what you're kind of calling the crown? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you want to take all that off because I always tell people when it comes to trimming brisket. I cook fat side down. And the reason for cooking fat side down is a pretty easy principle we learned early in life. Meat fibers are made up of cells. Cells are made up of water. So fat is made up of oil. So if you cook fat side up, the oil's not going to penetrate and moisten the muscles. Not at all. So flip it the other way and go fat side down. And now that's a barrier between your radiant heat. It's gone. That, that bag that you left out there? Wow. Yeah. Wow. We're, we're brisket free. We're brisket free. Yeah. It's not on either one of the grills. Freaking bears. Bears. Got our brisket. Like Tahoe Bears, man. Unbelievable. Should be a minor league baseball team. <laughs> Lake Tahoe Bears. 
<sighs> Lake Tahoe bit brisket bears. I like that one. I think that was pretty strong. Yeah. Wow. That's uh this is the bears got us. Yeah. So, All right. <laughs> we they they took care of our brisket. I'll tell you what they, really, they they enjoyed it. Nice nice little nice little tartar breakfast for those guys. They <laughs> <laughs> okay. just share the wealth. There's so many bears up in this country. Hey Clay, thanks. Thanks for that. You were on brisket duty, bro. Thanks, Clay. Yeah. No, no, I wasn't. Dude, can we talk about this mule deer real quick? Yeah, I want to hear the story. Dude, so I started to ask Clay about it yesterday, and Chad said, "Stop. I want to keep this for the podcast." So, dude, first, so so first off, we talked about. For for a Florida boy, this is super super early for hunting season, like August one, right? August first for archery antelope, and then archery deer in Nevada was August tenth. Yeah, so I mean, you know us, we only have like 110 pound eight points down there in Florida to to shoot, but yeah. So so you guys get started. So tell me tell me a little bit about this. Tell me about the stock. What did you know about it? You know, had you had game cams up? Like what what's going on? No, uh, no game cams, no nothing. And we'd been in the area before. We know the area. So I knew where. Can you, can you give everybody out there the coordinates? Oh, no. <laughs> area 015. <laughs> so, um, so public land hunt. Public land hunt. Okay. And uh, I ended up killing it on private land. Um, but I got permission because how I found them, when I found them, there was a big 15 bucks together and a couple does. And it was literally the first 15, 50 a bachelor group of bucks. And, um, when I found them, it was the day, August 9th. And that was kind of a special day to us. August 9th was our dad's death day. He died August 9th, 2006, archery antelope hunting. Really? Yeah. So call it what you will, but I yeah. found those bucks August 9th and, uh, pretty cool. I said, thanks dad. So didn't have any cell service where I was. So I put them to bed that night, uh, got up the next morning, found them again, and then drove to this little town called Cedarville where a bunch of our family lives. It's in way, way up North California. And I called Alice Crosby who was ended up hunting with me and our other brother Clint was with us and they weren't in town yet. I was up there trying to find these deer before the season. And I called him. I said, Hey, uh, you want to kill us 195 inch seven by six or 180 inch four point? And he goes, bull crab. He didn't, I'm like, I swear I already found these freaking big deer. And he goes, well, obviously either one. So he gets up there that night, go to work the next day or, you know, hunting the next day. And, uh, we found him again and they were out on public and it was hot, 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 you know, hundred, hundred degrees. And so everything they were doing at night, so they were watering at night, doing everything. Better, just better down during the day. Yeah. And a lot of mistake, a big mistake that mule deer hunters make is they go way up. And these deer were living right in the flats. Yeah. I mean, as flat as part you can get. Yeah. And if you didn't catch them within the first half hour of the day, you would never find them. Right. They're in they go and they lay 10 down. foot sagebrush yep. and you're never finding them. Yep. You could, you could walk it through that stuff, but you would never get a shot at mm -hmm. them. So three or four days of this same routine. I found where they were coming into this private property and went to him and asked him um, if we could hunt on his property. He says, yeah, no problem. So appreciate that. But, but you told him you had been trailing him. You, oh yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, yeah. 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 100%. So, so he respected what you were doing. Oh yeah. hundred percent. And, and, and isn't that so, I mean, 
there's a lot of times where you say I'd rather ask forgiveness than permission, but when it comes to something like that, oh, you no. did the right thing. Ask oh. permission, yeah. I would never do that. I mean, that's just being raised right, and yeah. being ethical, hunter. Yeah. Um, so go to him, and we're sitting there and sitting at lunch with him on on his property because during the day you couldn't do anything. Like I said, yeah. if you, so that first day we go to him, and I said. Uh, we were sitting there and here comes two does and two fawns out into one of his fields out way in the back. And they look like what they're watering. And I said, is there water right there? And he says, yeah, it's probably the only water around except maybe down here. Um, and I said, well, let's go check it. And he goes, oh, it's just a little one by two by, you know, diameter circle foot. A diameter big circle. mud puddle. Yeah. <laughs> and what it was, was at the big rancher, alfalfa rancher, and the fields where they were watering weren't, it, it was their turnover season yep. you know they, yep. did, they didn't plant so, that so year water just collected one of the pipes that ran out there the previous fall we do a lot of squirrel hunting out yeah. here ground squirrels and the previous fall someone had shot it at a squirrel and hit his line okay so there's a little 22 hole in one of his risers <laughs> and it was just dripping water yeah and when he has his pump off water um, it just barely drips, barely drips. Yeah. So it's just, and he goes, well, I'm turning my water back on because I'm, I'm hay in this field and this field tomorrow. And I'm going to plow or gather it up, bail it, get it out of the field, turn the water back on. So I got to charge the system. So when you charge the system, there's more pressure of water going through that. So now that water, a little bit of drip, right? <laughs> yeah. So it went up to a little bit bigger. Um, and so we, I said, where's the only other water in this country? And he says, if it is anything over here. So we went down there that day and looked at that water and nothing dry, dry water. The other one was dry. It's only other, the only other water in the country was his. Um, there was more water in the country. So they had, they had they, to come there. It was just getting the right time. If they were going to do it during yeah. the day versus the night. So, um, I had some blinds with me and I said, they're not because it's just out in the big old open yeah. field. And I said, I don't think they're going to come to one of these double bull blinds. I think it'd be just, if I put it up, they wouldn't use it right yeah, away. Yeah. They, they would eventually get used to it. But I said, well, what am I going to do here? So I said, Hey, do you mind if I take all your bales that you just bailed up in your field and made a hay blind bell? Cause they're used to seeing yeah, yeah. hay all the time. So I put me and Alice went out there, made a hay bale blind. And, um, through the days of, you know, figuring them out, they were never watering during the day, ever. It was at night. So I knew it was going to be tough D at all. A dusk. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, this eight-foot drainage ditch um, coming out of this canyon, you were able to get into and get around and stock and, and have a chance in the morning or at night. And I crawled through this stuff and getting to this point where they were coming from their bedding area into the property. And they came in and I got busted by some doe, not busted, but I, those were on here. Spooks on? I didn't spook them. Okay. I got, I was crawling through this, this whole bunch of nasty like stuff. Like belly crawl? Like yeah. Rambo stuff? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, I love it. And these deer were coming from their bedding area into this place. And I knew if I had a chance to get them not in the water hole, because what they were doing is they, these, this property so big, by the time they came into the field to feed, it would take them another hour or two to feed through and at nighttime they would eventually get to the water right so i knew i had to cut them off before getting there and i wanted to get to this certain spot because i saw went and found the game trail where they were coming in 
So I got, I got to a certain point and I got busted by these does and they had me pinned and these bucks were coming and right to where I was wanted to get. And I couldn't move because I knew if I moved again and spooked these does, spooked those bucks. So I got to a point, I couldn't move any further. Bucks got to their point, 80 yards, hopped in the field. And there's once they're in the field, no chance. So Crosby, he was at another, Alex, he was at another spot. Where was stills and Nash? <laughs> uh, I don't think they hunt. I don't think they hunt. Okay, all right. <laughs> Uh, so Crosby, he, he, where was he at and worked all the way back around a couple miles and got into the hay bale blind to just, maybe they would get there in time. And so was my other brother, Clint. And so they both got in there and they're in the hay blind and they figured they're not coming. They're not coming because they're still way out mile away in this field. Mm -hmm. And they started working a little bit and they're like, they're not going to get here in time. So what we're going to do is get out of the blind because we don't want to be in the blind when they get here and then have to spook yeah, them yeah, and yeah, we'll be yeah. pinned down. Right. So here they come. Nothing better than sleeping in a hay blind. No, exactly. Right. <laughs> Honey, I'm not coming home tonight. So Clint's filming. Yep. And we're going to film everything. And Alex is set up to, to shoot and they go, we're getting out of here. We can't, you know, we don't want to bust them. So they pack everything up, put the bows off, take the release off, take the bows, put up all the packs up, take the camera, do yep. it all thing, get out of the blind. And they look one more time with the binoculars out to where just to make sure they weren't looking at them. And they are on not a dead run, but a pretty good fast yeah, yeah, paced yeah, yeah, walk yeah, yeah. right to them at a water. And so they scramble and get back in the blind and they're both reaching for the, cause all their stuff's outside of the blind yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. So they're trying to reach and get all the stuff. And Alex gets his release back on. Clint can't find it, the release where he put it in what yeah. pocket. <laughs> so here they come and all of them, all 15 bucks and does and does. Oh and gosh. so now you got to worry about when they're at the, the, the water hole. Okay. It, it, so many of them stack up. It's such a small hole. They right. stack You're up. You're not going to get a shot window. Can't do yeah, it. Yeah. So for whatever reason, this, I wasn't there. I was way in the back where they were trying to get coming through, you know? So here comes the seven by six, the four point, the one I kill out in the lead and Clint's trying to do this and he can't. And they're, I mean, it all happened within 30 seconds from where they were to them. And so they're struggling. So Alex finally gets ready and he pulls back and so I can shoot the seven by six. I can shoot the seven by six and Clint's still trying to get the camera out and all this stuff. And here come the rest of the deer. And he's like, I won't have a shot in, you know, five seconds, shoot him. Boom. 17 yard shot by himself. He goes out and, Runs off, dies 60 yards. The run, the rest of them go out, run back where they came from. Mm -hmm. So I don't know any of this is happening because I'm working now. It's dark. Yeah, yeah, now, yeah. By the, not dark. But, yeah, but I'm, I'm, I knew I didn't have a chance. So I work out back around and I'm several miles away to where I have to circle back around to camp. And so when I get back to camp, here comes Clint a little bit later and goes, hey, you want to go pick up that seven by six? And I'm like, what are you talking about? So, so the last I knew they were getting out of the blind, I could see them getting out of the yeah. blind. And so I left and worked back to camp and Nope, here they come. They kill. We go pick them up. He goes seven by six. They're both allergic to the deer hair. So now I, yes. <laughs> no, they are I mean, they're bad. So now I got to do all the preparate, do all the yeah, stuff. Yeah, so yeah. one, one in the morning, I finish up doing this deer and I'm getting up at three 30. That was Sunday night. So now 
Monday morning, I'm getting up at 3.30 again, and I'm going to get to the same spot where I wanted to because if they were still going to be in the field and water at night, then they were going to go out either this way or this way, and yeah. I had to choose. Pretty, pretty chance, yeah. So I got to this point where I could, in this ditch, where I could still be mobile and find a spot if whatever direction they were coming. So um, first light comes on, all the deer, 80 yards from me. In the, and I'm like, I'm, I'm good. I got, I got a chance. And here comes this doe over here, and she walks way all around and goes completely god-awful, not even a spot where they were yeah. ever been before. And she walks out, and all of them fall oh. right along, away from me, out into my... <laughs> That was Monday morning. Maybe not so much. Yeah. So, and I knew I had no chance after that because yep. they're out in their stuff. There's no way of finding them. And so now, um, I we get back to to Monday morning, back to camp, and I turn to Alex. Clint had 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 to go home Sunday night, back to work. Me and Alex were going to stay Monday, and then hunt Monday morning like we did, come home. So I'm sitting there going, the only chance we got is tonight. You do you have to be? You have something pressing tonight, or can we stay tonight and you know be home at midnight or one and and go to work t- Tuesday morning? And he says, "Yeah, that's fine." So we wait, and it's only like seven o'clock because if you don't kill them in the first half hour, like I said, they're out in the stuff yep. and you're gone. Yep. So now we're waiting all day, all day, all day, all day, and I'm now my only chance is getting that water hole blind and see if they come in early again like they did. Well. I said, what time do you get in the blind yesterday? And he said, about 6.15, 6.30. I said, okay. So 5.45 rolls around. I go get ready at camp, and he's going to drive me into this water hole. Somebody's calling. Damn telemarketers. <laughs> uh, 5.45, I go get ready, and he's going to drive me out in the Yamaha to the blind, drop me off, get back. And so 5.40, 6 o'clock, start out. Here these deer are coming already, already. And I'm oh, like, Oh, so they were about 15 minutes ahead of you. Uh, yeah. So I'm like, Oh crap. So I go, well, what do, he goes, what do you want to do? And I go, just drive out there and act like we're ranching, you know, act like we're doing, yeah. so, Picking so, up hay and sh- you yeah, know, yeah, cause yeah. those deer see those ranchers all the time yeah. doing stuff. Right. Yeah. So I'm out there talking and being loud. Like you never would deer hunting. Right. I'm, hey, you know, we got to change this wheel line over here. We got to change. We got to bail this fill over here. We got to do this. And oh, yeah, yeah. I'm doing, and I'm getting my backpack and my bow out and putting in the blind. Oh, yeah. I'm doing all this talking loud, loud. And, and we're looking at the deer and they're kind of just looking. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> feeding and looking. And they're maybe only half a mile from me. And they're just like, well, they're just working. You know, feeding. So I get in the blind and I'm like, I think I have a chance. Well, they come you in the blind. You're like, Shh. yeah. Alex drives off and now we're. Now, no, no, no more no, cattle rancher. No more, no more ranching. <laughs> so now I'm quiet. And so they come into the field and they lay down and, and I'm like, well, they sit there and they actually crawl underneath the wheel line and stay in the shade because it's so damn hot. They're laying underneath the, their horns are out like this underneath the wheel line. And they're laying in the damn thing like this, trying to get half of their body in the shade and they get up, feed, go back, lay down, get up and feed, go back and lay down. And it's getting time, and they feed away from me out further into the the property. And this four point feeds out from the group when it's it, it's got to go time or it's not going to happen, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to get a chance. So about that time, he looks. I'm watching. He's watching me, not just at the blind. And then now the rancher has his water on to all the 
these fields that he's watered. Yeah. He's going to get one more cutting. And he look at the blind and then look over here at the, the motor. And they're half a mile, mile away from everything. Mm -hmm. But he's looking and look and go back to feeding. And he walk a little bit further. Look at the blind. Look over here. Now, biggest mule deer you've ever seen? Not ever seen. Right. But had a chance to kill. Okay. I, I, but I, I didn't. I thought he was when I I filmed him through the phone scope and through the loopholes to get footage. I got a yeah. whole bunch of stuff, all of them together, filming together when I was scouting for him. I have them all together, all these bucks, so I I could judge him a little bit. And I guessed the not, seven by six pretty damn close. I said one ninety five, and he's one ninety five and five eighths. Actually, yeah. I did really good. But on my deer, I said he was one eighty, one eighty five, and so, which is still huge yeah, deer yeah. especially for a bow yeah and so now he's looking 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 go feeding and he gets to this wheel line and i said man if he if he gets over that wheel line he's got a ch i got a chance and sure enough right then i i said dad make him thirsty and he hopped over that freaking thing and again by himself not even in no other deer they stayed out back no herd, just on his own just him jumped over that wheel line not a dead run again, but as fast as he could walk. Coming to you. Coming to me. And I said, oh, my God, I got a chance. So I'm starting to shake now, right? Because <laughs> I'm sitting there I'm sitting there for a long time. Well, and, and you're kind of sitting there the whole time going, it's not going to happen. No, not going to happen. I'm, not gonna I'm happen. going back to work tomorrow morning. No, you know, 100%. Yeah, 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 yep. 100%. And then he feeds out, and I'm like, he's getting a little closer, feeding out from the group. And like I said, he just looked. Like, just make sure nothing was over there. And look, and go back to feeding. He got that thing. I said, Dad, make him thirsty. Hopped over that freaking thing. Now I'm filming. I'm self-filming. I got the camera in the blind with me. I'm doing everything. I'm looking, trying to do all this stuff, and I'm, I'm still trying to get ready. You're the hardest working dog in the family. <laughs> You're the hardest working dog in the family, Clay. Not even close. Straight line to me. Here he comes. He Now, this the water from the day before to now, through that little pinhole, yeah. it's spraying. I mean, it's so much pressure. Yeah. His pump, the rancher told me, 1300 gallons a minute Ooh. this pump to, PSI i mean so now this little pinhole it's i mean it's pressure yeah. per spraying so the day before it's a shower at this the, point. yeah the day before it wasn't doing that yeah. it was just you know coming out so here he comes by himself and he walks by this water and i'm going oh crap because he he literally gets scared from the water spraying so hard so he goes out and you see him spook and look at the water like what the hell is that? And he goes out and he kind of. So how many yards is he at that point from the water? Tw Twenty two from me. Okay. He's three yards from the water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he walked for you. Yeah, twenty twenty two yards from me. And he walks past the water scared and he goes out here and I'm like I don't have a shot. I didn't make a window over here. I just made a window yeah. right here at the water. And he goes out there and goes I'm thirsty. Turn dry back around. Comes in. I draw. I actually draw before he even gets. Now first this off, one. what do you shoot? Uh, Matthew's tree axe. Got it. So, how many pounds are you pulling? It's only 55. Okay. Yeah. So, how many pounds do you bench, Chad? <laughs> it's been a while since you benched. Yeah. I'd probably, I'd probably still knock out three, probably 355, 365. I bet I could. Damn. Really? My, my best, I was five, 545. 545 pound bench? At, 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 pounds, at, baby. At, pounds. At, at 240. Pieces, Damn. Baby pieces. <laughs> um, so, so I actually draw and thinking he's just going to walk straight from where he's coming straight mm -hmm. to the water, just come straight in and I'm going to smoke him right here. Well, he doesn't. So I'm holding the whole time. He go walk, run, he spooks from the water. He goes back and I'm still, and I'm like, do I let down? Do I let down and redraw? I just held it. I'm getting tired. And it's probably a good three minutes while he's standing over past the water. He walked past the water. 
And now he's just like standing there, standing there. And I'm like, man, do I let down? No. Do I let down? No. And he comes right back around and I'm here and on the video, it's so awesome because I, I go just move a little, have to move a little bit because he stops before the water. Yep. And so I, I knew I could get him here and I didn't want anything to happen. 17 yards. He looks at me and I look at that. I, I try not to look at the rack, but you, I mean, you're just like, oh my God, 17 yards, cut the bottom of his heart out. He runs 20 yards. So, so talk about that real quick. Some people that are watching on my Instagram may just be barbecue people. Where are you shooting on that, on that deer? So the kill zone, it's low right behind the front shoulder. Yep. yep. So right behind the front shoulder, yep. low, kind of low, right above. Heart and lungs, right? Heart and lungs. Yep. And so I, perfect shot. Um, I guess that's why we're not cooking heart <laughs> tomorrow night. Half of it's in the ground back or, there. Or, or brisket. <laughs> yeah, or bear brisket. Um, so I don't, I, I knew I hit him perfect. Yeah. And he runs off and he's doing the dance and falls over dead. And I start screaming, hallelujah. I turn the camera on me. I'm screaming, hallelujah. I'm starting to cry. I'm talking to my dad, yeah. saying thank you for making him through. All the, the emotion goes through you. And uh, Alex comes running out or driving the Yamaha again, driving out to me. Oh, my God, we go crazy. And he's picking up. And literally, from where we picked his deer up and my deer up are 40 yards apart. That's we shot cool. them, both of them in the same water hole uh, 24 hours apart. Career deer. Career deer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, so, and I look at it and go, there, you usually have ground shrinkage. This yeah. thing had growth. I was like, oh my God, it has 23 inches of mass on both sides. It scored, rough scored at 201 and five eighths, which is. <laughs> 200 plus is unreal. Yeah. I mean, it's unbelievable. And I should probably stop hunting now. You know, it's one of those deer. <laughs> Just but, tell this story at every bar you God, go to and, and not do freaking, it again. It's it's a hopefully, deer of hopefully the shorter version. Deer no, of, I'll, I'll tell you what, I, I actually I wanted to go a little longer. <laughs> you wanted the story to go longer? Yeah, yeah. You, so, how come? Th- th- this story is gonna have to be its own podcast. <laughs> it's just gonna be Clay and Chad talking about his deer. It's like it's, it's well, own I'm excited. It's a lifetime deer, it's a lifetime <laughs> yeah, story. Yeah, yeah, so hey, hey. you know, you don't I, I it's All not right, keep, that it, keep going and tell us about the third deer now. No, so it's not that <laughs> Clint didn't get one yet. Uh, season goes till September 9th, so we're good there. Um but it you don't it wasn't a spot and stock, you know, like I would hope like I want to do spot and stock, take yep. off your boots, sneak into them and mm-hmm. find a thing. But the, the weather wasn't allowing that. And the terrain wasn't allowing that. And thank God that rancher, um, it was awesome because I got to use, uh, this thing called base map, which is a, yep. a product or an app on your phone that you can get on. And it has all ownership maps on it. It has all boundary maps on it. So you know exactly where you're hunting. If you're on beyond land, you, or you can, private property you know the person's name so you can go in there and introduce yourself and say that so it has all the information that you need so it was awesome to use this this product to where you can get on and have all this information at your fingertips and so everything made it happen that way it didn't there's no way for me to spot and stop where these deer were living and he was nice enough to let it happen and you know rest is history so that's so freaking the biggest deer probably i'll ever kill i mean amazing 201 and 58 200 inches for rifle anything deer but to be a true just typical four point to be 200 inches doesn't happen every day so chad do, do you do any of this deer hunting anything like that or are you just strictly foul these days because you're so busy well i mean i'm busy with the waterfowl deal and I, I enjoy big game hunting and i've had some successful hunts i've been on some exciting hunts it's just 
it's one of those deals. Nevada's a draw state. You, every spring, the application process comes out, and you put in, and you have the choice to put in for certain animals, certain areas, or you can just put in prefer- preferential points. And I, uh, I, uh, I always choose to put in for the preferential points because one day I'm going to free up a little bit, and I'd really like to kill a desert sheep or a or a California oh, so sheep. Oh, you want you want to get the the harder draw stuff? Well, I like to. I mean, mule deer is the, probably the most sought after trophy in North yeah. America for now, big now game. Now, let me ask you this: What, what is a mule deer? Tag cost Nevada public land thirty five dollars if you draw it. You right, draw right, it. yeah, 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 yeah. Thirty five dollars <laughs> for for non resident. It might be for deer. Might be one hundred and fifty for non resident. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, but it is a draw state only. Yeah. From from the time I killed my first deer as a junior at twelve years old, I didn't draw another deer tag until I was twenty two. Ten years as a native Nevadan, putting in ten years wow. it took me to draw another deer tag. Wow. So it. Like Chad's saying, you could go to where you're living from. You can buy yeah. them over the counter. You know, in a lot of states, whitetail were the popular, so you can buy them over the counter. Yeah. Here, you can't buy them over the counter. Yeah. It's a draw state only lottery for, and we we're known for very big animals: deer, elk, all the sheep. So, so many people put in for them, and it you could go twenty like less. Our buddy, thirty eight years, he waited to kill his sheep. Thirty eight years. Guy. That guy in that trophy room. Holy <laughs> smokes. You like less? Oh, dude, love less. What what a great guy. And then that, what, what I love about it is, like, a lot of guys just have trophy rooms, which are just, you know, mounts. But, like, what I liked about it was, and, and I'm sure it was expensive, every mount he had, though, there was a story behind it. Like, that that white polar bear. The polar bear, yeah. Dude, that, that to me is, like, dude, I, I can still, vis- I, like, I can see every detail of that mount right now. And when people ask all the time, like, well, what, what hunters have you met? I'm like, there's this last guy in Nevada. I was like, he's probably Nevada. Cool. Nevada. God, you guys are Nevada. Nevada. <laughs> Nevada. Um, I was like, probably the coolest mount I've ever seen. But it tells the story, right? You see that thing with its paw up, salmon underneath the the ice. Like you, you get it. It's like you weren't there with him, but you kind of were. When he's telling you that story and you're looking at it together, it's it's super cool. I thought it was really neat. Yeah, he's a hell of a man. He's 77 years old. He's going, you're getting ready to go on a Roosevelt elk hunt in California right Tule. now. Or a Thule elk hunt. And he's, uh, it's going to be, you know, miles and miles of hiking every day. He killed that sheep last year after waiting 38 years to draw his desert sheep tag in the state of Nevada that completed his North American Grand Slam. He, he killed it at 11,900 feet. I mean, he was walking 15 to 18 miles a day. So he did not chop her in there. He did no. not chop her in. He's a he, <laughs> the guy. The guy's a savage, man. I work out he, with him and he just, what, what, he's what, what's, what's the Blaine breed story, though? That was a great one. When uh, he had the he he got in a, he got in an accident in, a, in an airplane up in the up in the on that polar bear hunt, and he he hunted with that brain injury. He cracked his skull and and affected his brain. He hunted for twenty days, and the doctor said that he should have been dead. And and if you see the pictures of the surgery after and the shaved head and the stitches and everything that they did, they they cut his skull in half to go in and fix his brain. And he sit there and hunted with it and like it was nothing. And then flew back to America. Finally got to Seattle to get the surgery done. After after he was no 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 he flew back to Reno and one of his family member his wife's brother in law or somebody was in the hospital sick and on on their way out and he was coming back to say his goodbyes to that person and when they were at the hospital the son his son looked at him and says dad what's up dad what's up and they he went to they took him right there to the ER in that hospital and the doctor they were like you should be dead. And when they, but he landed and within three hours he was, he had his skull capped. 
Yeah, he's a tough. He's a tough. What a nice dude. dude. Oh, what a great guy. Do anything yeah, for you. Badass. I met him at Clay's birthday, and yeah. he is an amazing person, no doubt. Oh. Yeah. So uh, my my whole uh, my whole demeanor and freaking psyche has just been destroyed with losing this brisket. And I mean, like you can. There's a lot of things that could have happened today that could have really upset me. But to know that we just had a Snake River Farms brisket hey, stolen by a black bear. And we're not going to be able to make our brisket tacos tonight. We're going to rely on Clay's mule deer after the. I don't know. If I don't know if I brought enough because I thought we had a whole seventeen pounds of brisket. We're going to have to get creative. Damn bears. Damn we're, bears. We're going to have to get creative here. And, and we already ate our chicken and pork for dinner last night. Yeah. So we're like, we're, we need to figure this out. I've already, but here, here's what I did. I got on the phone and I started texting my reserves, and I got some stuff coming up. So I had to invite more people, but they're, I said, they're like, well, because you know what people do. What can you, I bring? Yeah, what can I bring? And I'm like, well, it's funny you ask. 17-pound steak <laughs> refined brisket. <laughs> you time to get a brisket. Does Amazon food? deliver? Uh, hey, I hope one of them is bringing goat, dude. Goat? Like antelope? No, goat. Goat, goat meat? Goat, goat, yeah. Really? Uh, no. Are you being for real? No, man, that's part of my comedy. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Okay, oh, because you're trying to say you're the greatest of all time, the goat. No, 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 Tom, wow. Tom, Tom wow. Brady, you are you? you? Hey, you, you, you talk about taking it the wrong way. <laughs> the greatest of all time, Chad Ward, is going to sign off of the podcast called "This Life Ain't for Everybody." I'm Chad Building for Jared, my brother Clay. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. It's one of those deals to where we wanted to get the passion of the outdoors, the passion of barbecue, the passion of the backyard back out there we want to keep this message going the theme right now with traeger and everything that we're doing at the foul life and all of our brands is get back to it get back to sitting across a table across a bar across a, a duck blind and talk to somebody look them in the eye forget about text and forget about direct messaging and i think that that's where we're going with our brands that's where traeger's going it's making the backyard the cool hangout spot again and if you want to look more into traeger check them out at traegergrills.com they got everything from apparel to sauces to rubs to grills to accessories and the brand continues to grow, innovate, and blow my mind every day. We couldn't ask for a better partner. And what they do for us here at all of our brands and the food and the, the memories that they're providing and the stories to us, is uh, it's insane and it's humbling. So it's, uh, it's one of those things to where we could talk about more recipes. We're going to continue to get them out there. The cookbooks, look for them pretty soon. Three Chads, one cookbook. New episodes of The Foul Life airing on the Outdoor Channel right now. New Foul Life merchandise available at thefoullife.com. Whiskey Bent Barbecue, look him up online and visit Chad on his Instagram, on his Facebook. Go to his store's website, support him. It's an absolute badass brand. Um, Jared, thank you for being up here. Clay, thank you for being up here in the story. Um, I don't know how long that story was. I amazing story. Was amazing thank you, story. but I, I was on Instagram holding cameras all day. I thought I had to get something in. Yeah, I mean, yeah. He, was, he was really... He, was he really did it for America. I love him, man. Chad, do you have any closing words that you would like to say right Meow. No, hey. Meow. Hey. Meow. <laughs> hey, man. Always appreciate it, Chad. Dear friend, man. Love your family. Love you guys involving us and stuff like this. And uh, can't wait to do it again, man. Keep doing what you're doing. We appreciate it. Yeah, and we appreciate Traeger. And like I said, if you do, if you want to ask Chad any questions, DM him on his social media, on his Instagram at Whiskey Bent Barbecue. And more importantly, if you see him at a live event, like we'll be in Kansas City at the Royal September 14th through the 17th, come visit the uh, Traeger tent. Come hang out with the Traeger team. Come hang out with the Foul Life team. This life ain't for everybody. Kansas City Royals, Kansas City Chiefs. We're going to be humbled to be there. I can already smell the aromas in the air and taste the meat in my mouth. That didn't sound really good right there. Um, 
hey, hey, Tom, keep that. Keep that. Keep that. Mark the tape. Mark the tape. Send a, send a, send a piece of it to Chad Ward. Thank you. <laughs> you guys, thank you. This life ain't for everybody. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We're growing every day. We're fired up about the momentum. Tom, if you'll do me a favor and play that man we call Haas. Leith Lofton, he's in the air right now to join us at Lake Tahoe. What you going to do when the money's all gone? Thank you guys very much. Peace out.